No, he's WCW. You're not getting hit. 100%. Your brother. Hit your brother in the mouth. He's WCW for life. Yeah, That's but he's right. out, he's out man too. Look at that. He was out man. There was nothing for him to do. He is one of the bravest, toughest men this sport's ever known. And he's wailing the daylights out of his own brother. After the four-on-one attack, it looks like Nash is ready for the jackknife powerbomb. There have been fines of over $300,000 levied to Nash. And he pulled away with the powerbomb as Doug Dillinger and security walked toward him that time and said, you better not. Meanwhile, Rick Steiner at the mercy of the NWO, including his own blood. He's going to do it. going to do it anyway. He's going to do it. No, he's not. Can you imagine the Steiner's families at home? I mean, both families, the whole Steiner family watching Scott and the NWO turn on his brother like this. Stomping, pounding away at the mercy of the NWO. Three men. Uh-oh. Boy, they're running now. Who could this be? That, I don't, it's the Giant! Seven feet four, 500 pounds, bad neck or neck, looking eye to eye with Kevin Nash. How about it now, big sexy? The man that tried to break his neck. The Giant, the man who against doctor's orders will return to the ring and uncensored against Kevin Nash. He's got a power power. Do it, do it. He's got a power Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to April. Fuck, it's March. Right, start that again. If I'm going to fuck things up on the end, let's get that right. He doesn't uh, even he care. There we that go. Was, you should have just went for it. Should have carried on. Ahead. Pretend it's April. Well, I'll, I'll introduce Spring Stampede, and we can just pretend it's like. But let's uh, let's just record the April show and see if anyone notices the difference. That might be a, <laughs> a good way to go. Right. Hello. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling Twenty Years Ago podcast. Going back in the time machine to March of nineteen ninety-eight for Volume Two of this month's show. For Volume Two, this month Volume One takes us to the WWF, looking at WrestleMania fourteen. Volume Three to ECW, looking at the latest pay-per-view, Living Dangerously, and Volume Number Four to the latest Pride MMA show. We're hearing Number Two to discuss WCW uncensored pay-per-view, and there's a rather big story involving Sean Waltman that will dominate the first third of the show. I'm being joined firstly by Davinda Vargas. Davinda, hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. And good afternoon, Craig Wilson. Craig, good afternoon. A pleasure to be here as always. Uh, Craig, kick us off with the news. Sean Waltman, after six, was fired by Eric Bischoff this month as an apparent shot at both Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Waltman would end the month appearing on Monday Night Raw, cutting a shoot promo on both Hogan and Bischoff. Waltman had been off of television after recovering from neck surgery and officially Bischoff has said he was fired due to his inability to compete. But the reality is a far more detailed story of politics and WCW. We'll discuss this properly at the end of the show. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage ended in a no contest at the end of Uncensored as WCW attempted to present a stacked lineup to counter WrestleMania a couple weeks later. The match was typical Hogan and Savage fair. 
and concluded after interference from Ed Leslie and Sting, which Savage blindsiding Sting with an attack, but did not appear to reunite with Hogan either. This was closely tied to the political stories in recent weeks with guys like Hall and Nash unhappy at Hogan and Savage being in the main event instead of Hall's world title match with Sting. The Hogan-Savage feud had dominated television in recent weeks as the pair attempt to recreate some of the shoot storylines that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels had last year. Sting retained his WCW world title against Hall uncensored, despite all of the stuff going on backstage, Hall agreed to lose cleanly. It wasn't the case in other parts of the card, as many finishes were changed to placate one party or another. Kevin Nash's match with the Giant ended in a run-in after Hall after Nash not only did not want to lose, but also didn't want to take a powerbomb. In the page, Benoit Raven three-way, originally it was planned that Raven was going to win the title, only for Benoit to be given the decision to make it up to him. Then Dallas Page fought his own side and ended up winning the title. Elsewhere, Booker T retained his title in another match where the finish was changed. There were also wins for Juventud Guerrera, Chris Jericho, Lex Luger and Bret Hart. Given some recent injury issues, apparently the plan was Bret Hart is to copy their formula from Sting last year, having him wrestle very little and aim towards a match with Hogan in December. Expect him to talk a bit more, though. WCW are apparently talking with the Ultimate Warrior. They've reportedly offered a six-figure contract for two pay-per-views and Nitro appearances, so we can expect one of those to be a loss against Hulk Hogan. Raw and Nitro will be running within a matter of 10, 15 miles of each other, with Raw in Hampton, Virginia, and Nitro in the Norfolk scope. Norfolk, Norfolk, depends on which uh, which side of the Atlantic you're from, I suppose. I remind you that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access to shows, you can do so at patreon.com. Forward slash wrestling 20RS links in the podcast description and on our website. On to the ratings for the month. I mean, it, it, it's a good whatever way you shake it, really, whichever side of the line you're on. Nitro on March 2nd did a 4.8 to rules 3.8. On March 9th, Nitro did a 4.6 to rules 3.6. On March 16th, Nitro went unopposed. It did a 5.1. Raw was shifted to a Tuesday. Perhaps more remarkably still, Raw on a new night did a 4.4 rating, which just tells you how big wrestling is these days. Um, the Nitro, that they said the, the final hour of every single match in the final hour of that Nitro was the most watched in cable wrestling history, one after another. Um, and on March the 23rd, Nitro did a 4.6 to Raw's 3.6. The ratings of March the 30th uh, will cover on next month show now a little bit of a weird start we did briefly mention the Walmart store at the top and suffice to say it's about 80 percent of what's going on in wcw newswise this month ordinarily with a story like this we'd leave it to the end but given what its significance and also the fact it kind of impacts and everything else we'll see and discuss both on the pay-per-view and little bits from tv kind of doesn't make sense to ignore it uh craig i'm going to get my kind of shit together and get my notes in order so what are your thoughts on, on this Walton story before i go into it it's a uh... It's a pretty bold show of strength from uh, Eric Bischoff. If if this is as expect uh, as is rumoured, a, a shot across the bows of both Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. It, I mean, it seems quite unnecessary to, uh, and quite a risky thing to sort of antagonise two guys not really renowned for their cooperation backstage to sort of poke them with a a big "I've just fired your one of your best friend sticks." Uh, so I mean he must think he's on pretty firm firm ground uh, it's a pretty terrible way that he was fired the traditional FedEx letter whilst 
uh, recovering from uh, from injury. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, as, as the sort of war heats up between WWF and WCW, it does uh, it does strike you as something that's probably going to going to have a lot more to to talk about in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, um, not even the first time Walton's been fired. Bischoff fired him. I can't remember when, um, but Bischoff kind of verbally fired him, I think, in the latter half of last year. I think we certainly covered it on whatever show that was. Um, but this time, it was official and definite, and uh, official and definite, i.e. he ended up, you know, if you want to listen to volume number one, if you haven't already, he ended up on Raw, basically telling Hulk Hogan he sucks on a live promo, so he's definitely been fired. Um, uh, this is going to take a while to explain. So bear with me. We kind of have to first contextualise everything that's going on in the last few months, and really in the last kind of twelve, eighteen months. Really, you know, when when Walkman arrived, like Bischoff kind of brought him in as a sort of a favour, really, to, to to Nash and to to Hall. You know, bringing one of their best mates from the other side. Um, you know, Walkman was a guy that you know, along with Nash and Hall, felt like they were being underutilised in the WWF. Got brought across, and one of the things that kind of surprised a lot of people was how well he got over a six um you know he n- improved considerably on the mic i.e from a very low starting base not that he got much exposure he was one of the more reliable guys in terms of in-ring performers like when we talk about you know the nwo they often put you know him opposite you know with the go back a year ago and hear all the stuff regarding Ric Flair but they they kind of elevated him onto the level of Flair, Piper, Hall and Nash because you know one because of his friendship with the two of the guys but also because you know he it's not like he didn't necessarily belong um you know and so there was that and there was also the fact they released uh, a, a a six shirt it was like an NWO shirt with like a a six pool ball on the back um and that did incredibly well merchandise wise they were very surprised by the success of that and so Waltman, you know nursing some neck problems and kind of disappeared from tv for a while neck surgery was successful they kind of banned him from traveling so not only could he not wrestle he couldn't really appear on shows which is why he hasn't really been seen for a while um and essentially that's that's the story of six sean Waltman and wcw you kind of parlay that onto the the political they're almost like tectonic plates really in wcw the political maneuverings and everything's always moving it's just that they kind of all get along up until the point where these things kind of collide together um so a few things going on in that respect one hulk hogan still has not signed a contract with wcw he's working on a, a per date deal or something like that or just on a retainer uh, I, I don't think wws interest in him is very high but obviously bischoff's still keen to quite keen to keep him happy hogan hogan's quite keen to appear on tv one because ratings are excellent he's quite appear, keen to appear on house shows number two because the house show business is very very good he's also wary of the fact the january pay-per-view that he wasn't involved in uh was it january or we, Whichever pay-per-view he wasn't involved in the last two months, uh, headlined by Flair and, and Bret Hart, did very, very well. Um, it was the January show with Hart and Flair. Did almost as high a buy rate as the significantly more pushed February show involving him against Sting. So Hogan's a bit wary of what's going on with Bret Hart, and you know apparently he wants to keep Bret Hart and Ric Flair apart um, because he's worried if those two get on screen a lot together, that could explode. And right now, Hulk Hogan's a bit worried about anything that might draw away from his own drawing 
power. What that has parlayed itself into is that this month's pay-per-view on Center that we're going to review, because it was WrestleMania, they wanted to be able to basically stack the deck. They wanted to present a card that involved all their main talent in big, big storylines. And, you know, it's it's great watching Raw and hearing these like little notes, like Jim Ross on Raw saying, when you rig up your pay-per-view provider, be sure to order WrestleMania by name. Obviously, this was a couple of weeks out. Uh, basically, because they don't want people ringing up their pay-per-view provider saying, hi, I'd like to order the wrestling, and the pay-per-view provider buys them WCW. You know, all these weird things going on. Um, and so basically, Hogan and, and Savage got themselves put in the main event, and so those were the big guys that they, they were focusing on. Um, so much so that even Scott Hall, in his match against Sting, was very much demoted to not only the semi-main of the show, but also in terms of the build on TV, was getting maybe... 10% of the promotion relative to all the other stuff surrounding Hogan and Savage. That's kind of pissed off Scott Hall. Alongside that is Kevin Nash, who's apparently been in words with Hogan this month and told him, I want your spot, i.e. I want to be the, the big guy. So that's going on as well, which is one of a list of reasons why Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are a little bit pissed off. You've also got the stories we've been reporting for a number of months that not only are those guys pissed off at the top, a lot of other guys down below are quite pissed off as well. You know, you've got guys that have been in WCW for a year, 18 months, two years. Your Malenkos, your Benoits, a lot of the, the, the cruiserweights and the Mexicans and guys like that that have been around for a while that believe that they are, you know, one part of the big reason why WCW and Nitro have been so successful and two also believe that they should be pushed up in higher positions on the card so everyone's a bit unhappy now anyway this has all been kind of bubbling under and now I can hopefully with that context finally provide some information on what's actually happened this month so on the and you know as we should always do really on every show thank you to the Torch and the Observer for their extensive detail on this I'm picking up picking through notes from both and I'll reverberate some pa- a few passages as well so on the uh, March 9th before the Nitro in Charleston West Virginia there was a backstage meeting with Eric Bischoff Hulk Hogan Kevin Nash and Scott Hall that apparently they felt seemed to kind of quell the tensions. They they, they seem to you know generally the, the the agreement is and was even at the time. Look, we know things are going on, but let's all be cordial and professional, and work together to make money, etc., etc. Anyway, while all that was going on earlier the day, uh, Bischoff had sent. Well, Walkman of FedEx, uh, firing the guy, um, terminating his contract. Apparently in the meeting, um, uh, uh, he, he alluded to, and I, I quote this line verbatim, putting a bullet in Walkman. Um, I don't really know what or why, but that was there. Um, I, I think I, you know, obviously the, the bullet in this case was firing him, but obviously he was using a metaphor and I don't think they really realized what he was on about. Um, given the meeting went relatively well, they didn't really realize what he was saying. Um, but apparently he fired Walkman for no other reason than to get back at Hall and Nash for all their stuff going on backstage, etc. And here's a, a, a quote, I think this is from The Torch. Bischoff had tried to juggle the egos of, of Hogan and Nash while staying friends with both of them. Although when push comes to shove, Bischoff, for a variety of diverse reasons, has always sided more closely with Hogan. I think there's a, a few bigger reasons, but there we are. So anyway, we move on now to obviously the uncensored part of everything else. And given that Hogan and Savage received so much hype, that had kind of been pissing off um, Hall. And apparently Hall and Sting had some, some words backstage, but that had caused 
some unrest, not only um, in in the, the the faction involving Nash and Hall, but also on the undercard as well. Um, and there was thoughts that Nash and Hall might be trying to, I don't want to say unionize, it's not really the right word, but essentially kind of put together a band of guys to apply pressure if you like to the guys at the higher end of the card um and yes yeah, so i'll cut back now to another quote from the torch because this paragraph's quite long but it seems quite important just when it seemed the major blurb had been avoided the next day walton received his fedex notice that he'd been fired even though technically he was locked into another year and a half contract and didn't do anything to breach it because his firing was on paper not verbal like the last time bischoff had fired walton a firing that was retracted less than an hour later this time walton is apparently free to immediately negotiate with the wwf or pro test his firing and work to get rehired or paid what he's owed no reason was given for bischoff firing walkman which could technically mean wcw breached their contract opening themselves up for a lawsuit uh, let me just read the next paragraph of my notes um basically one of the another reason why hall and nash are a bit pissed off was that after the stuff in december uh they basically pitched the idea that those two would basically split off the nwo and there's that the, there is there are talks and i think there's still this idea they might break the nwo into two and have hall and nash on one side and hogan and savage on the other hogan nixed the plan and said it wasn't time to do an internal fluid feud and neither of you two are on our level his and savages um and that obviously caused other problems as well um we move on about a week or so. We're about mid-March at this point, just before the pay-per-view, but everything else. Um, Kevin Nash demanded release from his contract. Um, I'm just reading bits and pieces here from the torch. According to Nash, he was telling others what he said on Prodigy Chat a few days later. Bischoff refused to release him. Here's the quote. Said Nash, in the heat of the argument, I asked him released. Bischoff said, are you crazy? You're not going anywhere. You're locked in for four years. I'll send you to Poland before I send you to Vince. I replied, they love me in Poland. Uh, Nash admitted that he had asked for his release, but he's also said that it was unlikely that WWF could match his salary. Uh, another big note, as I say, surrounding Bret Hart. I know I kind of got off a bit on, on the Walkman thing that we'll come back to, but there's a lot of fascinating stuff here. Um, was that Hogan wants to keep Bret, Bret and Flair apart because he's worried they, they might get over and he's worried about all that stuff. I've actually been through all of that. Um, and also there was the point that Nash took saying to telling Hogan point blank he wanted his spot and that he wasn't giving up. Um, Craig, that's maybe the longest single monologue I've ever done on this show. Um, just kind of poke at any of that, really. There's a lot to go through. Uh, yeah, uh, I, th- I think a lot of it sort of uh, comes back to the, the boldness of uh, Bischoff, as I uh, uh, alluded to earlier on. I mean, it just sort of shows it's quite a sort of powerful test of strength, but it's also just a sort of fascinating insight, uh, as was your uh, monologue there, uh, about just the... Uh, the level of politics going, going backstage, going on backstage in WCW, what a sort of poisonous and toxic time uh, this was. Uh, yeah, and just for sort of sex to be taken out in, in such a, a, a ruthless fashion. I mean, obviously, if, if he was an important player, uh, you would be very surprised if Bischoff would have let him go. But yeah, uh, test the strength, a uh, sort of display from Bischoff maybe indicating that people shouldn't mess about with them too much but yeah uh, pretty interesting to I would imagine to view the politics from the outside rather than to sort of be involved in it particularly if you were recovering from a neck injury and had a wife and kids to look after Davinda what do you think about all this? That was a lot to take in um, I but I, it just uh, 
it shows how and uh, it might sound a little hokey, a little corny, but it just seems like the passion for the sport is gone because everybody, I mean, if Hogan's on the card, everybody's making money. If Sadger's on the card, everybody's making money. Um, sometimes you got to know your role. I believe sometimes if you're second string quarterback, then you're second string quarterback, you know, and Savage and Savage and Hogan is just money. And it's kind of like, it kind of reminded me of uh, a few years ago when uh, they did Bam Bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor. They went on last after the title. Now I may agree or disagree at times that the title be more important than a certain one-on-one match. But, um, like I said, Hogan and Hogan and Savage is just—it's just been there for so long. Um, their their rivalry last years, and I think it was just a lot more uh, compelling with uh, you know all the promos that they were doing. Uh, but then again, that was like uh, decisions made by people backstage. Uh, Bischoff firing Wallman like through mail was kind of classless, and even more so that it seems like it was just to get back at Hogan and or, excuse me, Nash and Hall. Um, but right now in this day and age, like he has, he has Nation Hall over here, but he has Triple H and Sean over there. And, uh, if he feels like he was just, it just comes down to the working environment, you know, like it's, it's wrestling, it's pro wrestling, but it's still work. And if they're not happy, if they're not, you know, they, they got to speak up and that's, it's just a, a lot of stuff going on. Really. It is. Yeah, I think it's like when when you're in a company and you know you've got maybe three or four guys working hard on on, on big projects. You know, like that there, there's always that kind of time at the beginning where, in theory, you're I would say you're underpaying guys, but you're paying guys at a base level, and everyone kind of works at that, even though they know everything's more important and they know the project's important on the basis in part because they think, well, eventually I'm going to get paid more and eventually I'm going to get that big promotion. And I kind of think that's what's kind of started to bubble under here as in like, you know, National Hall came in on pretty big contracts in 96. Let's be clear about that. Um, and they were involved in the big angle and it was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll side with Hogan and we'll do this big angle. And it's, it's worked out well for everyone. But eventually they're like, well, we're the reason we got here. We're, we're the reason you got here. We're the, we think we're good enough now to take that billing. Where's our spot? You know, i.e. they always believed they should get that spot, but they were willing to kind of sit there and wait while Hogan had his moment. And they're like, right, Hogan's, Hogan's done his moment. Now we want our time. And they're like, you're not getting it. There's no room. And when you convince yourself for a while that that spot's going to be yours and then someone says it's not, it kind of pisses you off, um, you know, and, and, and that's that's been, there's a lot of guys that fit that description in WCW right now. There's a lot of guys that, you know, Dean Malenko's taken a month off because he's not been happy with the way the Cruiserweight division or his character has been treated. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of undercard guys that apparently there was a meeting this month between, uh, you know, they, it was uh, Vincent Mao was involved and a few of the WCW undercard guys like Guerrero um, and, and Benoit. Um, just a meeting and in terms of, you know, what can what can you do for us and that kind of thing. Not that there's an opportunity for them to go. They're both on the contract for a couple of years, I think. Um, but there's a lot of guys now that have been working for a while that kind of think it should be their moment. They should be earning more money. Not that WWF would give them more money in a lot of cases, but they should be exposed more. And like, as we've discussed on the show in the last few months, there's just no room. 
um, you know, it only really works if you can push the bigger names out the top. And as I say, like, if, if anything, the one of the big catalysts for all this is Hogan being out of contract. Um, Hogan saw, seen what Bret Hart did in, in 1996 and gone, shit, like, I can make a load of money if I can make myself appear like I'm available to both sides. Um you know, quite where the level of WWE interest is at, I don't know, but it's in Hogan's interest to make them believe it's quite high. Um, and he's sat there and he's kind of going, well, you know, business is hot right now. If I go away and business stays hot, WCW will realize that, you know, it, it's not just me. And it's, you know, as we've seen, I don't need to introduce you to Hulk Hogan, his ability and his desire to be seen as the focal point, whether he deserves it or not. Um, and so... Hogan's around a lot. He's probably taking more control and more notice than he has at any point in the last 18 months to two years, if not longer. Um, for whatever reason, he's identified Savage as the main, the guy he wants to work with. I and mean, that was kind of a little bit of a surprise. I'm a little bit surprised he didn't want to work with Hall and Nash unless he fears them getting to his level. Um, and maybe, maybe from Hogan's point of view, it's like, well, better I work with a guy like Savage, whose ceiling I know, than work opposite guys like Hall and Nash, who could potentially in that spot, you know, if I was Hogan, I'd be shit scared of working with Hall and Nash. Like two guys that are, you know, vehemently cooler and more popular than I am. Um, you know, I, I wanna, I wanna kind of, you know, draft their quote unquote heat away from them onto myself, not try and kind of oppose it. Um, and yeah, Sean Waltman just caught in the middle. Um, you know, off TV, hurt. Um, it, you know, he's had run-ins with Bischoff before, let's say that. Um, and Bischoff just getting a bit angsty about Hall and Nash kind of, you know, getting their own control and getting their own leverage going, right, I'm going to fire one back at you. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of leaves us in the situation we're in. I mean, Craig, we have had this discussion a couple of months ago, but I, I, I don't know how to, I, I don't know how I'd fix this. There's a lot of times when we see stuff going on or we read about stuff going on. It's like, well, if you did this differently or you're willing to give up this, there'll be a very easy solution to this. I don't know that there is. Uh, no, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure how, how you get to, to the, to the bottom of this either. Uh, yeah, it, 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 like I was saying, it is a, certainly a very sort of poisonous, poisonous place to be in. But it, it's difficult to think how you could probably resolve this at all. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't be something I would like to, to sort of be in charge with. Certainly, uh, Davina, any more thoughts? Um, I I was just thinking about this when you were talking about it, and it says a lot about Hogan's insecurity. Like you're Hulk Hogan. That's, that's it. Like playing for such a long time. And you would think that there would be a moment where you could, where you say to yourself, you know what? I had an awesome time. Maybe some new guys can come in or they can help or I can help these new guys come in. And you were saying that, you know, you were wondering why he picked Savage instead of National Hall and you're saying the reason you know National Hall is so popular and might take their heat away from them but I think it has a lot to do with their age you know Savage and Hogan are are <clears throat> excuse me a lot um older than Hall and Nash Hall and Nash have a lot more time like in their careers fearing that maybe the heat that they get can 
to a longevity in their career. So he, I don't this know guy actually that either of them are... I don't, sorry, I don't know actually that either of them are that much younger. I mean, I think more well, of Well, not that much younger, but TV I, I feel like maybe they have... Yes. Yeah, and... Um, it, it just says a lot about Hogan's insecurity. I, 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 you know, he was a hero of mine back then, and politically, he's just he goes, "I want, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all," and the whole pay by appearance thing. Really, all roads lead to Hogan. That's right now. Yes, I think that's been WCW for the last couple of years, to one degree or another. Um, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, we talk about solutions. If there was one solution, it would probably be get rid of Hulk Hogan. Um, I don't know if it would solve everything, but it would, like, if you were looking for the quickest route to absolving the, the most problems, it would probably be getting rid of Hulk Hogan. Um, but I don't know that Eric Bischoff wants Hulk Hogan back in the WWF as, as good as the WWF are right now. Um, as, as I said on, on this month's, uh, on this month's WWF show, they are probably looking for a guy to run opposite Steve Austin, and I get the feeling Vincent Mann would quite like it if that guy was Hulk Hogan. Uh, whether Hulk Hogan would do it or not, so is another question, but there we are. Anyway. He, he, he would like it, but would would Austin like it, you know? Austin would like it if he They're got over have... at the end of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's very, very difficult where Hulk Hogan's concerned. Um... But yeah, I, I think it reminded Austin, me. It reminded me of a rumor when Hogan and Jake the Snake Roberts were supposed to be feuding, but Jake the Snake, even as a heel, <laughs> was getting a lot crazy reactions, and Hogan apparently just nixed the whole angle, feeling that he was going to get better reactions than Hogan. I feel like that's happened quite a lot. Kicks off the month with the NWO arriving in a limo looking awfully confident. Tony Chivoni tells us that our main event tonight will see Sting and Randy Savage take on Hollywood Hogan and Scott Hall. Our opening match has Chris Benoit taking on Scotty Riggs, which saw Benoit pick up the quick submission victory after hitting some rolling Germans and locking on the crossface. The announcers tell us that Randy Savage has been named Harvard Lampoon Real Man of the Year, and you know something like that has to stick in the crawl of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. We see clips of Savage accepting the award at Harvard. Hogan and Bischoff came out for a promo. Hogan buries Savage and says that everybody knows that he could beat Sting any day of the week and twice on Sunday. He plans on showing the whole world that Savage couldn't even carry his bags and vows to beat Savage in a cage out uncensored. We see Mean Gene and the Nitro Girls at St. Joseph's University for a Nitro party. Next up we have Chavo Guerrero Jr. taking on Juventud Guerrero, appearing without his mask for the first time on free TV. Movie one with a Hoovy driver and a 450 splash before cutting a promo with his mask saying this is the only the beginning. We then had Psychosis taking on Prince Ikea. They had a very sloppy match that nobody in the crowd cared about until Ikea picked up the win by countering a victory roll attempt from Psychosis. This was followed by Raven taking on Disco Inferno. Naturally, as we are in Philly, Raven was very popular with this crowd. They had a typical Raven match full of brawling and chair shots until Raven hit a dropped hold hold onto the chair and followed with a DDT for the win. Into hour number two and we have the public enemy taking on Hugh Morris and Barbarian accompanied by Jimmy Hart in a Philadelphia street fight. Public enemy rips Hart's shirt open and tried to put him through a table but were superplexed for it themselves. Even the announcers pointed out that there was no pre-existing issue between these teams so this was just a street fight for the sake of it. Public enemy hit a leg drop on Morris and Rocco pinned him for a quick win. 
Andy Savage and Elizabeth came out for a promo. Savage was wearing his NWO gear. He says Hogan should be glad that it's NWO for life, because without the NWO, Hogan wouldn't have a life anymore. Savage says him and Sting will work together for one night only, but they would do business his way. This brought out Sting. Sting tells Savage that he only does business his way, and left. Goldberg then defeated Sick Boy in a dominant squash match after a spear and a jackhammer. We had a music video for Stuck Mojo, we saw the band performing in the ring, and Raven and the Flock attacked until DDP saved the day with a chair. Paid hit multiple diamond cutters and had a stare down with Raven. Mike Tanay then brought out DDP for a promo. He promised to beat Raven and left through the crowd. Hammer then came out for a promo and challenged DDP, who obliged and returned to the ring through the crowd. Paid hit a diamond cut early in the match, so Raven attacked for the DQ. Benoit ran in to make the save but, and attacked Raven, but Paige accidentally hit him by a mistake, which led to a three-way brawl until he cut to commercial. Bret Hart came out for a promo. He says he didn't come to WCW to make money, he came to WCW to make a difference. Bret ran down the NWO and promised to beat Kurt Henning at the pay-per-view and said that Brian Adams will pay for stabbing him in the back tonight. Scott Norton and David Boy Smith had a short while brawl of a match, about 90 seconds, until Norton shoved down the ref on the outside for the DQ. The two men then brought to the back. Conan came out for a promo. He buried Hoovy for losing his mask after Conan went through all the trouble of getting him a job in WCW. Conan then squashed Super Colo, picking up a quick submission victory with a Tequila Sunrise. He tried to unmask Colo, but Hoovy made the save. Hoovy and Conan then set up a match for next week on Nitro. We had a replay of Brian Adams turning on Bret Hart a few weeks ago. Ric Flair came out for a promo. Flair said he would be with Gene at St. Joe's partying, but he wanted to see the main event tonight. Kurt Henning and Rick Rue came out. After some verbal back and forth, Flair challenged Henning to a fight. They brought and traded chops until Flair attempted a figure four, and Rue jumped him from behind. Henning hit a fisherman suplex, and Rude theatrically took his time to count the three, until Bret ran in and made a very late save. Scott Steiner took on Hacksaw Jim Duggan in his first match as an NWO member to kick off the third hour. Steiner won a short match with a belly-to-belly suplex and a Steiner recliner. Booker T and Dean Malenko took on Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho. Eddie had brilliant heat with the crowd. The match was short but excellent and Malenko picked up the win for his team with a cloverleaf on Jericho in what was easily the best match of the night. A group of NWO members led by Kevin Nash came down to the ring for a promo. Steiner grabbed the mic and says he wants to induct his brother into the NWO. Rick Steiner and Ted DiBiase came out. In the ring, Nash presented Rick with a t-shirt, but Rick threw the shirt in his face and started running wild. The NWO got the upper hand and Nash tried to powerbomb Rick, but Rick backdropped his way out. The Giant ran in and the NWO Nash aside bailed. The Giant headbutted Nash and hit him with a powerbomb of his own. Security then tried to arrest the giant, but the handcuffs they used didn't fit his wrists, so they just let him go. We then got Bret Hart having his first match on Nitro, where he looked for revenge against Brian Adams. The match ended in a DQ when Henning rang in and attacked Bret when he had the sharpshooter locked on on Adams. Henning and Bret brought up the aisle until we head into the break. With that, it's time for our main event, with Sting and Randy Savage taking on Hogan and Scott Hall. They brawl from the start with Sting and Savage running wild for several minutes. Hogan turned the tide by using the spray paint can on Savage. Sting eventually got the hot tag and hit two Stinger splashes and attempted a scorpion deathlock on Hogan, but the NWO hit the ring for the DQ. DDP and Giant run into even the odds and the show went off the air with Sting, Giant and Page tending to Savage. Macho Man had to say when he went in the ring right before he was scheduled to meet Brian Adams. Here's what happened. Don't you know 
than half the guys in the NWO right now are shaking your hand, smiling in your face, and they want to stab you in the back in a drop of a hat. How about that? That got a reaction, didn't it? Here goes his ego. Think about. My phone is ringing off the hook. Your so-called loyal friends, NWOites, want to band together, strengthen numbers, and their main goal is to get you out of the NWO. References. Elizabeth, who's the real man? Hollywood or the Macho Man? Macho Man, there's only one real man, and that's you. I got another reference. Uh oh. Who knows what this is going to be? If you want to know who the real man is, ask your wife. The 9th of March edition of Nitro opened with a recap from Thunder of Savage telling Hogan that half of the guys in the NWO couldn't wait to stab Hogan in the back and that his phone was blowing up with guys wanting to jump ship and join him. Our opening match saw Ernest Miller squash Damien with a springboard roundhouse kick. Bischoff and Hogan then came out for a promo. They talked about Savage's family only having a roof over their heads because of what Hogan had done in this business. Hogan said, it was your choice to drag your wife into this business, your choice to drag your ex-wife into the dressing rooms, your choice to have your wife mingle with the boys, to act like one of the boys, and believe me, she did the boys. Hogan said that he would prove in the cage that Savage couldn't hang with him. Mean Gene and the Nitro Girls were on campus having a Nitro party at Duke University. Sick Boy with the flock took on Lenny Lane and picked up a quick win with The Cure after a horrible match. Mike Tanay then brought the Giant out for a promo. Giant noted that he had a bad neck, but now Nash had a bad back, so they were even going into the pay-per-view. He brought out a few friends, and out came Sting, carrying the world title for once, and Randy Savage. Savage ran his mouth as Sting attacked the turnbuckles with a baseball bat. Savage challenged Hogan to find two partners and face them in a six-man tag tonight. Goldberg squashed Barry Darso with a spear and jackhammer combination. Scott Hall came out and ran down Savage before volunteering to team with Hogan later. He tells Sting that he will have to prove to Hall that he is the better man at Uncensored and Hall doesn't think that Sting can do that. Kevin Nash also came out for a promo and pledged his loyalty to Hogan. He said that he did feel pain in his back from the powerbomb last week, but he would hurt the giant worse out uncensored. We close out the first hour with Dean Malenko taking on Kidman. Chris Jericho came out to watch early in the match. Malenko hit a gut buster off the top and locked on a cloverleaf for the victory. Jericho tried to lead the flock into the ring to confront Malenko, but they attacked him instead, so he retreated. Hogan and Bischoff are back out to kick off the second hour. Hogan announces Nash and Hall as the partners of his choice. Brian Adams is out to take on Chaos of High Voltage. He picked up a quick win with his tour-to-all slam before hitting, hitting one on Rage as well and demanding a free count on him too. Conan came out for a promo. He is refusing to wrestle Hoovy tonight, but he has found someone who will, and if Hoovy beats him, he will get a match against Conan. So Hoovy came out to take on Scott Norton. Norton snow-sold some Hoovy high spots before crushing him with a shoulder breakup for a quick win. 
we get a DDP, Benoit and Raven video package leading into Uncensored. Then we had Chris Benoit and DDP taking on Raven and Saturn. This had a decent amount of time and they delivered a good match but with an underwhelming finish. Benoit had Raven in the crossface and Paige hit a diamond cutter on Saturn but landed on Benoit which led to Paige and Benoit brawling and getting counted out. We see clips of Disco Inferno and Goldberg visiting kids at Duke's Children's Hospital earlier in the day. Into the third hour, we have Conan taking on Davy Boy Smith. Davy picked up the win with a power slam in a quick match that garnered boring chance from the crowd. Mike Tanay brought out Ric Flair for a promo. Flair vows to give Kurt Henning a Carolina butt whipping that he's got coming to him. Chris Jericho then defeated Disco Inferno in a short match with the Lion Tamer. Chavo Guerrero Jr. took on Booker T with Booker picking up a very quick win with a missile drop kick. Eddie consoled Chavo after the match before dropping him with a brain buster. We then had Kurt Henning take on Ric Flair. They brawled for a short while before Flair hung hanging in the tree of row so the NWO ran in for the DQ. Bret Hart hits the ring to make the save, taking out Conan and Vincent and backdropping Henning over the top rope to the floor. Next up, Scott Kleiner and Scott Norton faced Lex Luger and Rick Steiner. All four men brought to the back for a quick double countout finish. Our main event of the evening was the six-man tag match between Hogan, Hall and Nash, taking on Stink, Savage and the Giant. Each of the heels was reluctant to tag in against their respective rivals. They eventually got the heat on the Giant with all three heels clubbing him in the corner until he powered them all away and made a hot tag to Savage. Giant chased Nash to the rocker room, Savage and Sting rang wild and Hogan and Hall respectively. The disciple ran in, hit a stunner on Savage and Hogan made the cover for the win to round off the go-home show before Uncensored. I see you, the harder it is for me to believe that there'll ever be anyone to get even close to being one half of what you are and what you've meant to this wonderful industry that you and only you control. But all that being said, I'd like to talk about gratitude, or in this case, the lack thereof. Randy Savage, you know the truth, Randy Savage. You know that if it wasn't for this man, that your mother, your father would not have a roof over their head today. This is really You personal. know, Randy Savage, that if it wasn't for this man, your brother would be living on a street. And you know, Randy Savage, that if it wasn't for this man, you wouldn't be allowed in the building anywhere in the country. And now it's time for you to pay the price. You know, this macho clown, he's way, way, way out of skinny little limb, brother. You know, when the macho man talked about my family, when he drug my family out behind closed doors, behind the guard gate, behind the security, into the filth of his ring, of his atmosphere, he went way over the line. It was your choice to drag your wife into this business, your choice to drag your, excuse me, ex-wife into the dressing rooms, to mingle with the boys, to act like one of the boys, and believe me, she did the boys. Well, let me tell you something, brother. When you cross that line, 
you put yourself in no man's land. And when you decided to get in the big kahuna's face, the number one man in professional wrestling, the number one man in the NWO, the man that each and every NWOite worships, you became an island unto yourself. You were the one that's out on a limb. You're the one that's by yourself. And with the whole NWO getting a good laugh and watching my back, they're not even going to have to lift a finger when I get you an uncensored, when I get you the cage where you can't run anymore. And I show everyone that I am the real macho man, that I am the big kahuna, that you can't even carry my bags, and even the guys in the NWO that worship my feet have been right all along. There will never be anyone like me, and there never will. So macho man, you take your place in history as another one that went down to Hollywood's feet, because in the cage, after I beat you, the whole world will know that Hollywood Hogan is here for life. Anyway, on some, some, some TV bits. I know Craig hasn't seen a lot of the TV, so, so Davinda, me and you will, will carry this bit until we get to the pay-per-view. Um, but yeah, this TV's, as I say, been interesting. It's it's perhaps more interesting with the backdrop of what we just discussed, which is in part why I, I kind of front-loaded the discussion first. Um, but there's a there's a really interesting angle on the <clears throat> on the uh, on the first nitro of the month involving uh, giant power bombing Kevin Nash. Um, apparently, Hulk Hogan's idea. Um, one thing I can say is that. There's this, and we may not discuss it at the end of the show, um, because we, there's not much TV to focus on after the pay-per-view, but I, w- I will mention it now, and if we get to it later, I'll mention it then again, um, is the finish of the Sting Diamond Dallas Page title match, which involved uh, Dallas Page attempting to put Sting in uh, Diamond Cutter for like three or four seconds, and Sting countering it into a, um, a Scorpion Death Drop. Apparently that was Hogan's idea, and apparently also the the angle with um, giant power bombing Nash was also Hogan's idea. So when we talk about Hogan being clued in, um, he does seem somewhat productive. I, I will at least give him that. Um, so there's this really good angle on Nitro. I mean, don't get me wrong, the bit that preceded it was essentially Rick Steiner getting, you know, looking like a complete idiot, trying to get inducted into the NWO before being blindsided right. and attacked. I mean, there's that. Um, and then there's, the, you know, Giant comes out wearing the neck brace and all, power bombs Kevin Nash, page, place fucking explodes, you know, really, really nice, well done angle. Apparently Nash didn't particularly want to do it, didn't want to do it on the pay-per-view either, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, very, very good angle on the first. I do also want to focus on the angle from the second Nitro angle, the, 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 the stuff on the second Nitro of the month, and this is more kind of an ongoing theme than it is one specific moment. Um, but we'll have played it coming out of the... Uh, we'll have played it just then before we got to the discussion. Um, specifically surrounding Hogan and Randy Savage. And as we say, that program is receiving a lot of bill, both on Nitro and on Thunder. Um, and Davinda, this... This decision, this idea, a little bit late to the party, uh, that Hogan and Savage are going to kind of get a bit personal. You know, they're basically taking a leaf out of the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels playbook from last year. References that people would have heard in terms of Savage talking about Hogan's wife and Hogan talking about Savage bringing Liz into the locker room and all of that means and that kind of thing. Um, Davinder, it, 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 
it, it worked when it was Brett and Sean because one, I mean, well, Brett's not much younger, but they're, they're younger, which helps, you know, making jibes about women kind of works when you're a little bit younger. Um, but it also works in the sense it's believable. I, 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 I don't know that Hogan and Savage taking these jibes now really makes sense. And I don't know that it was necessarily, uh, well, let me rephrase this. I don't know if this is necessarily great storytelling. It was certainly interesting to watch. What do you think? Um, not necessarily great storytelling. I, I agree with that point. But, you know, when you say too, you know, when you say late to the party, sometimes the person late to the party is the one who's being looked at, you know? Um, I feel like imitation may be the sincerest form of flattery, but it's also like, let me see if I can do this better. Uh, I think it makes for good TV. I think uh, you, you got Elizabeth standing there, you, you, of them working together in another company, and their egos kind of clashing. And um, on the believable part, at some points I feel like, okay, maybe a little forced, um, especially the reactions to the insults. But I feel like the insult itself, like, sometimes I feel like they're, you know, they're, they're cutting pretty deep. I, I like it. I, it, uh, they are pushing it a lot on, t- as far as the, uh, the entertainment value of the show, that's what you're watching for, you know? This isn't gonna be a five-star classic. This is gonna be all about the show, all about the storyline, and I welcome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly better than versions of Hogan Savage we've seen previously. It's more noteworthy. Um, as I say, whether, you know, we'll work out whether this works, I guess, in a few months' time, we see what the the knock-on effects are. I mean, even down to Eric Bischoff in a pro, in the promo on Nitro brings up La, um, Larry Poffo, or La, Randy's brother, I can't remember which one's which, um, and, and he brings him up, and Hogan just looks down the camera and does a limp wrist gesture, and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, it's, it, you know, like, I, I, that's the idea, though. That, in theory, is the point. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I, I think, you know, Part of the reason Brett and Sean worked so well was that it was pretty clear there was a lot of truth behind it. I think Hogan and Savage are pretty cordial at the moment. Um, so I suspect all of this is being approved ahead of time and all of that. Um, but all a bit weird. And it, it provides us with a, I don't want to say a bizarre backdrop, but it does provide us with a backdrop to, uh, to move into WCW Uncensored. So Craig, uh, if you'd like to kick us off with the results of the show, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get on with discussing it. In the opening match, uh, WCW World Television Champion <coughs> defeated Eddie Guerrero uh, with Chavo Guerrero in his corner. Second up, Juventud Guerrera defeated Conan. WCW Cruiserweight Champion Chris Jericho defeated Dean Malenko. Lex Luger then defeated Scott Steiner. Uh, in a triple threat match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, uh, Diamond Dallas Page retained against Raven and Chris Benoit. The Giant then defeated Kevin Nash by disqualification in a match on an uncensored pay-per-view. Uh, Bret Hart then defeated Kurt Henning, who had Rick Wood in his corner. Uh, WCW World Heavyweight Champion Sting retained against Scott Hall, who was accompanied by Dusty Rhodes. And in the main event, Hollywood Hogan fought Randy Savage, who had Miss Elizabeth accompanying him, to a no-contest. No or whatever the hell that was. Uh, yes, I will do my best to uh, provide context and all the political manoeuvrings ahead of some of these matches, for there were quite a few. Uh, Davina, what do you think of this show? 
I, 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 I like, like uh, I was saying earlier, we were talking about it. I grew up on WWF. And, um, you know, watching this pay-per-view, the beginning, I, 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 I thought it was a bang. I, there was so much talent in that ring in those, uh, matches. They all entertained. They all like went to work. Those, um, I, I feel like it was a great show. Uh, the ending was, uh, I have some questions about that, but later on, about that when we get to those certain matches, but, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I did not regret watching it. Um, yeah, I felt like it was a good show. Did not regret watching it. I think that's that's the baseline for WCW shows. As for uh, right. as for your as for your questions of the main event, whether the hell we're going to be able to answer any of them or not, we'll uh, we'll guess we'll find out. Uh, Craig, what do you think? Uh, pretty sort of standard uh, quality WCW show. The, the undercard was uh, pretty good, although I have seen sort of better uh, undercards on WCW shows. Uh, but the main main event portion was as bad, if not worse, than the sort of usual fare. So, uh, yeah, not 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 a great show. Uh, usually, the, the undercard pulls it up, but in some areas, I just thought it, it was maybe even undercard was a wee bit lacking this time around. Yeah, um, what a uh, I don't want to say disappointed WCW show, but. If anything, this show was, as I say, they wanted to stack the decks against uh, the deck, sorry, against WrestleMania. So they kind of got all of their ducks in a row and, and stacked this deep main event heavy lineup in terms of, you know, you've got Scott Steiner and Lex Luger on fourth, um, you know, which is early for two guys of, of that nature. The problem was, was that having more main event caliber matches meant we had more main event caliber matches. And that meant we had more average to below average to worse in ring action. And that kind of squeezed a lot of the, you know, better undercard down the card, essentially, um, which didn't really help the quality of the show, but we'll, uh, We'll see what happens as we get to it. Uh, anyway, we start with Eddie Guerrero with Chavo Guerrero Jr. versus Booker T for the WCW television title. Uh, not for the last time on this card, uh, Eddie was meant to win this match. And then, for at least this one, there were no political maneuverings. This one was a classic, people know the finish, therefore we're going to change it just because we can. Um, so that was the reason why uh, this one finished. Although it was a bit bizarre anyway. Uh, Nick Patrick is doing the officiating. Eddie spends the opening few minutes of the match begging for cover. Booker gets a hold of him and hits a back body drop and a sidewalk slam. More banging off from Eddie, who heads up the R way. The crowd are working with it, so I can't complain too much. Booker goes to the top for the early Harlem hangover. Eddie follows him up and hits a superplex. Bobby Heenan makes a play at the famous Guerrero Fortune. It's simple. If the family don't like Eddie, then cut him out of the will and put me in. Guerrero now is now on top with a long rest hold. Eventually, Nick Patrick sees Eddie using the ropes for leverage. Booker hits a flatjack, spins to his feet and hits a scissors kick, then hits a lovely spine buster or a sidewalk slam if you're Tony Schiavone. Booker misses something from the top and then hits a jumping side kick in the corner. He hits a drop kick from the top for the second time of asking and wins the match. Afterwards, we see Chavo at ringside and he seems a bit happy. Eddie confronts him. They exchange shoves, they exchange shoves rather. They then appear to make up and then Eddie blindsides him and hits him round the head. Um, Craig, what do you think of this opener? I'm glad you mentioned Schiavone getting some names wrong because that that really jarred. I, I like uh, Tony Schiavone's commentary, but yeah, he just I, I had a he, he had a 
called it a rolling slam, but it was a sent on over the ropes. Yeah, it just it just sort of jarred. Uh, in terms of the match, I thought it was okay. Uh, I really like uh, Eddie as a heel. I think he really gets a great uh, reaction from the crowd, and obviously Booker T's pretty over as a face. Uh, yeah, th- this was uh, pretty good. I liked uh, Eddie's work on uh, Booker's knees, some solid psychology, and although it's very old school, I, I do like when a heel uses the ropes to, to increase the leverage uh, on a sort of submission move behind the ref's back, because it really pisses off the fans. It's just it's just gloriously simplistic, but yeah, Eddie as a heel is great, and I thought this was uh, an okay match. I've seen better, uh, have seen worse. It was fine. Doing that. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying Eddie Guerrero. Uh, the, the bit where he was, you know, use leverage, um, like, like Craig said, it's an old school heel move, but there was something about Eddie's look on his face. It was so sneaky. It added another layer to the, to the character. It was not like a blatant, I'm going to do this in front of the ref and I don't care. It was more like a, I'm going to do this and just, Get more pain in there, and the ref's not even gonna look. I can do this as long as I want. Um, it was uh, in ring work was awesome. Uh, Eddie's character work, I think, carried the entertainment portion of the match. Um, Booker T's on fire, but um, yeah, it was it was a it was a good match. I like it. Yeah, we talk about the the beneficiaries of uh, yeah. We we talked about when Eric Bischoff basically decided he's gonna get rid of tag teams. Um, you know, I mean, well, Craig, I'll ask you in a bit. You're, you're, you're one of our, you know, you're one of our bigger tag team fans in terms of the crew we've got. Um, but one of the bigger beneficiaries is probably Booker T. Um, as in, you know, he, I'm not saying he was being held back, but you know, a lot of time Harlem Heat were being managed by someone or else, you know, Sherry and Jacqueline at one point, I think. Um, you know, and, and tag teams have their spot. And now Booker T's, okay, he's working undercard as a singles act. Um, but he's really getting exposed a bit more. Like, you know, now we, one of the old things with tag teams is that, you know, if it's a tag team that's, that debuts as a tag team, a lot of people will remember their tag team name, but they may not remember the individual guys involved. Um, and so Booker may have been lost a bit in the shuffle, but now he's on his own. It's like, that's Booker T being really good. Um, and we're starting to see that he is actually quite good. Um, it helps when you're working a guy like Eddie Guerrero, who's done a, a really, really good job carving a little niche out for himself as this kind of, you know, high flying heel. Um, and a very well done match. Craig, what did you, what do you think of the demise of tag team wrestling in WCW? Uh, well, it won't come as a massive surprise to you that, uh, I missed a lot of tag team wrestling and it's, I mean, you look down the card and it's all, uh, there is no tag team wrestling here. But I, I do agree with the, the, the gist of your point. Usually when you split tag teams, they tend to uh, sort of get lost in the shuffle, invariably in a, a rather dull feud between the two two former members. But uh, Booker T sort of bounced out uh, and he seems to be uh, on a pretty upward trajectory, right? Uh, going against uh, Eddie Guerrero will have made a difference, but... He got a good pop, the, the fans are behind him and he is getting uh, steadily better as a uh, as a singles wrestler so I think there's probably every reason for uh, fans to be fairly optimistic that Booker might come out of the demise of Harlem Heat quite positively. Do you have any thoughts on Booker? Uh, yeah, I, I like him. I think, uh, you know, sometimes it could be bugging, sometimes your talent can carry it onward. Um, I think he's just a talented guy. 
uh, it's always that awkward, let's see what happens when they break up a tag team. Because you've only known him in that light. So sometimes you don't even buy the guy, you know, uh, being a singles wrestler. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, Booker T has shown that he's he's up for it. And I'm glad that they're using him in the right way, you know. Moving on next, it's Conan versus Juventud Guerrero. This is, of course, Juventud without the mask. Juve vaults off the ring steps and takes out Conan with a sidekick. Conan regains control, dumping Juve onto the ropes. He then ties him up in an Indian deathlock of sorts or standing up into, well, I don't really know how to describe it, like a double underhook and a grapevine, easily the most interesting thing that Conan has done in months. Conan then gets in what today calls a rocking horse, like a Boston crab where he kind of locks the arm arms too and then picks him up and starts rocking Hooventu back and forward. Um Hooventu's neck kind of uh, head kind of bounces up and down the mat and then Conan kind of just sits on him. Um I, I cannot understate this is easily the most interesting thing I've ever seen Conan do by a million miles. <laughs> He then throws Hoovy off the top with a released German suplex. Hoovy lands on his feet and then unloads on Conan, who's just tied up in the turnbuckle. Conan regains his position and hits a released German suplex mid-ring. He shakes for a gut wrench. Hoovy counters with a DDT of sorts. Hoovy misses a 4.50. Conan hits the cradle DDT, but Hoovy kicks out. Conan goes for a lazy pin. Hoovy rolls him over with a crucifix and gets a flash pin and wins the match. That doesn't last very long. Conan catches him off the top and slams with a cradle DDT and then launches him out of the ring. Um, Davinda, were you surprised as I was at Conan's contributions in this match? Uh, yeah. Uh, I always felt he was a bit player. I always felt like uh, he's the muscle or he's the guy to you know, just be cheering on the main guy from behind him. But uh, he uh, and it could be you know chemistry. It could be just uh, having a good time. But he put in his work. Uh, he, he did great. I love that release German though, with Hoven to the landing on his feet. Uh, I felt like it was a good match. Uh, surprised as you are though, yeah. But uh, they did what they had to do, and it was put on a a fairly good match. Craig, yeah, I, th- I thought this was all right. I've never really gotten into Conan at all. Uh, but I, I quite like the sort of the story here that Conan was uh, the, the fact it was all over uh, Hooventud uh, letting down Mexico and then Conan just proceeded to spend much of the match beating the piss out of him and I really liked the fact he was just being so cocky on the pins and then that finally came back to uh, to bite him yeah uh, it was it was perfectly alright to me this probably wouldn't have uh, felt massively out of place had it been on Nitro uh, rather than a pay per view but yeah, it was it was what it was, and it wasn't terrible. Yeah, did so that were a few of the matches on this card, I suppose. Um, yeah, uh, Conan's been a guy that I've derided a lot, and I will continue to do so because generally he deserves it. Um, but he's always had stuff like this in his arsenal, and I don't want to overstate it. Like you know, I was more surprised than it being genuinely that good. Um, but you know, like if if Conan's struggling for yardage, then yeah, start busting out shit that we don't see very often. That was quite nice. Helps when you're working a guy like Hooven too, which means you can 
you know, work these released German suplexes that look great as well. Um, but you know, those, that, that move where he kind of did the Boston crab and then he kind of interlaced Hoovy's arms and then he kind of picked him up and stopped rocking him back and forth as Hoovy's head's pointing towards the mat. And then he kind of bangs his head on the mat a few times, rolls him forward and then just kind of sits on his neck into a pin. I, I still haven't done a very good job describing it. I think you'd have to watch it to work it out. Um, but yeah, like, you know, between that and between the, the, the good stuff with the release German suplexes, you know, again, I think Dave Meltzer kind of took a shot of the booking of this in terms of how they laid it out, and I, I'd be in large agreement um, in the sense that the idea was was that Hoovy gets the win, so he gets over, but Conan dominates the match and gets the post-match, so he gets over. In reality, neither of them do. Um, so there's that. Um, but still, a Conan match that isn't terrible, um, which is not anything you can always guarantee. Is uh, it, Do you feel like maybe Conan maybe have been limited this whole time? Like, hey, I can do this, I can do that. They're like gonna be like, no, no, don't do that. You're gonna, you're gonna get too much heat. You're gonna get, no, don't be. Uh, I'd be surprised. I mean, I've seen it works ECW a few times, and it's not like we've seen this from you either, I don't think. Granted, he did What's Face Sandman. Um, you you know, uh, there is always that. I don't think so. I mean, he's done weird submission holds before and i'm not saying he's going to be super over the next night on nitro uh, but if he wants to carve a niche for himself i know i know Dean malenko's whole thing is the man of a thousand holes but I, you know i think conan's got that might have that market covered instead uh anyway uh oakland is on the mount uh, on the ramp rather with jj dylan dylan says giant put in a request to legalize the power bomb with kevin nash which nash gleefully accepted i get the feeling they kind of written this bit into the story long before nash and et al kind of worked out what they would do with the match or should i say long before nash should protest the plan finish of the match um but this does look a bit weird in the hindsight of the fact that they legalized the powerball and then giant never did it um you know there's that anyway Moving on next, it's Dean Malenko versus Chris Jericho for the Cruiserweight title. Jericho has a 1,004 rating on his tights, a jab at having four more holes and the man of a 1,000 holes, Dean Malenko. Some holes to start off with, Malenko working the arm and flattening a petulant Jericho with a shoulder block. Jericho goes for a crossbody block, but Malenko ducks and hits the falls to the floor. Jericho walks off up the ramp, Malenko breaks the count and then Jericho comes back. Jericho hits a lion salt, Malenko gets his foot on the ropes with the pin, Jericho's not happy. Jericho works a back submission. The crowd are pretty quiet at the moment as Malenko hits the belly to back for a two. Malenko gets cowed and Jericho hits a reverse suplex. He then shapes for the lion tamer, but Malenko quickly gets to the ropes. Malenko nearly takes it with a victory roll and then a backslide. He counters something off of the top with a crossbody and nearly takes it with the pin. Malenko shapes for a drop kick. Jericho shapes for a lion tamer, but Malenko skillfully escapes to the ropes. Jericho goes for a Frankensteiner off of the top. Malenko counters it with a gut buster from the top. That never fails to look good, but Jericho does manage to kick out. Malenko goes for another drop kick. Jericho catches him with a lion tamer and gets this one in. Jericho pulls away from the ropes, sits down in the move, and Malenko taps out. After the match, Oakland comes out for the interview. He walks straight past Jericho and heads towards Malenko, who looks a bit pissed off. Oakland calls it a match. Malenko should have won. He gets oddly aggressive here. He calls out Malenko's recent PPV record of 0-4 since Starcade. He even calls him a loser. If he calls him Jeff Jarrett, then he'll complete the set. Oakland asks, where does Dean Malenko go from here? Malenko leads into the mic, says home, and then just walks off. Uh, Craig, what do you think of this? Uh, I thought this was excellent. Uh, Jericho is uh, 
totally on fire uh, at this stage. Uh, him and Belenko work so well together. Him and the the sort of the, the stuff that they were doing was just so smooth to look at. Uh, I really like Malenko. Uh, I think Malenko could have been a huge, huge star if he had been quite so dull. Uh, but Jericho is uh, Jericho's ace. Uh, big, big fan of this. I, th- I thought this was easily the best match so far by such, such a distance. Uh, and the the post match stuff was totally cool. I mean, I, I, I loved. It's just it's a small thing, but when. Okerlund walks past Jericho. It, it, the camera has has it's on Jericho, and you just see how sort of shocked and pissed off he looks. Just such a great, uh, great moment, uh, great facial moment there from Jericho. And that interview afterwards was just utterly bizarre. Okerlund absolutely laying into into Malenko. I think I think this is going to start something pretty cool between the two of them. And yeah, it, it certainly grabbed my attention because it's quite different. Uh, and yeah, a, a really really great match. Fun storyline behind it, and a really bizarre interview from uh, a, a particularly mean, mean Gene. It reminds me of uh, it would have been I, I've lost kind of track of time now. It would have been about a year ago, something like that. Whenever Medusa retired, um, remember like after the match, Medusa lost the retirement match, and then Oakland's kind of Oakland's walking a lot. Medusa's walking on crying, and Oakland's trying to get an interview with her. It's like, do you understand what this means? Do you know this means you can no longer wrestle again? And Medusa just crying, and the crowd start chanting, "Leave her alone! Leave her alone!" Like that. I think that's uh, that was. Uh, June, I think, something like that from last year. But anyway, Oakland, yeah. Uh, despite the fact, you know, he's called Mean Gene because there's a gag that he's the nicest guy in the world. Occasionally, he can be a bit of a dick on TV. You know, obviously planned, at least, anyway. Uh, Davinda, what do you think of all this? This is what I was talking about, about, you know, the undercard, those guys going to work. Uh, I love this match. Jericho is money. Dimilinko is the man. And the match itself could have been good. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. The match itself would have been acceptable and I would have been happy. But again, those layers, those details, Craig mentioned Jericho's facial expressions when he was walked by. He feels like he's the star. He's, he's got a thousand and four holds. Why is, why are you walking to him? He's only got a thousand holds. Those are the things. And then Malenko, um, you know, Mean Gene Ogilvy at his best, right? Uh, just pushing and pushing and pushing. Like not the right time, buddy. But, um, the match itself was just awesome. Those guys are so smooth. It's just, it was, it looked effortless. Good match. I, I know attacking non-wrestlers is, is kind of the thing now. Um, and I don't know what propensity means in Oakland house for taking a bump or something like that. Um, but it, it kind of would have been cool if Belenko had just snapped him in half or like putting in some kind of, you know, that they want to talk about, you know, Malenko going home, repackaging for a bit, etc. As I say, we're we're 18 months too late in terms of the whole flattening the non-wrestling guy being a difference maker, I think. Um, Austin's kind of called that market, not to say he was the first, but he's probably the one that's, that's made it work the most. Um, but yes, yeah, so Oakland being oddly aggressive to the point that felt out of character was a bit weird. I, I understand why they did it. Um, the match was was good. Yeah, Jericho's like it's not a it, it's not this massively clever idea. Yeah, you know, petulant and being a bit pissed off isn't this massively multi layered character. Um, but Jericho's starting to make it work. Like people are starting to tune into it. They're starting to understand and they're starting to react to him in the way that they should. Um, I don't think it's 
money. I don't think it's main event, but it's the kind of thing you can involve into something better if you get the opportunity. I think from Jericho's point of view, it's the kind of thing that will get him noticed. And him just being the, the vanilla undercard cruiserweight, I mean, he, he's a bit undersized, which won't help him in that regard. Um, but if he can get this character over as simple as it may be, um, you know, it will be job done. Anyway. We go next to Scott Steiner versus Lex Luger. Steiner picks off Luger before the bell. He's wearing a white singlet to match his hair. We're quickly on the outside as Luger gets ran into the stairs. We return to the ring. Luger hits a scoop slam. He then quickly signals to the wreck. He goes to lift him. Scott hooks the ropes and low blows Luger with his leg, uh, with Lick Patrick blindsided. Out walks Rick Steiner. Scott Norton picks off Rick Steiner, but Luger hits Scott, possibly with his net first. Luger hits Scott Steiner, probably with his metal forearm, and then Steiner gets knocked out and gets pinned to win, or for Luger, sorry, to win the match. Straight afterwards, Scott levels Nick Patrick and then sends Luger packing. Rick and Scott square off. Scott runs at Rick with a chair. Rick ducks and body drops him over the top to end the segment. Um, to Finn, this is like, you know, this is the start of what you might call the main event portion of the card, which, you know, this month begins a bit early. Um, I don't really know what they were doing. Like, you know, Luger and Steiner, I guess, was sort of logical, given how they built it. Um, but it's like, it's a weird use of Luger. It's a weird loss for Steiner to take, regardless of the circumstances of the loss. Um, so soon after his character changed. I didn't really get this at all. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I feel the same way. Um... I, I feel like these guys should have been a little later on the card. Um, the match itself was, uh, you know, serviceable. It was okay. I, I see the, the baby face fire that they're trying to do on Luger, but it seems like you said it was an unnecessary loss for Steiner. I feel like you should have kept him hot because it seemed like all that was only Rick Steiner. Like he was the one that looked like he was standing tall. Luger looked like he needed help, like he couldn't do it himself. Like, um, Rick Steiner was the hero of that match without even being in it, you know? Craig? I thought this was a total dud. This is another match I'd have, uh, I'd have probably skipped if it was on Nitro. And yeah, I, I, it just makes absolutely no sense that they've uh, kicked the legs out from uh, under... Uh, Scott Steiner, uh, there's a phrase that Owen Hart can't say, uh, and yeah, it just it, it makes no sense, he's on a sort of singles push, and there they are, having him lose to Luger, I mean, on paper, this looks like Luger's going to take the pinfall, it's going to eat the pin, sorry, and onwards and upwards for Steiner, uh, and it made no sense, and the finish was stupid, uh, and another match with the NWO guy uh, loses, and immediately sort of get something back from it by beating the guy up afterwards when and in fact they could have given Steiner a whole lot more by having him win the match yeah odd odd and rubbish yes not the combination you want um yeah I yeah Luger's another guy we didn't mention Luger when we were talking about the kind of political moverings and all the the, the kind of big log jam at the top of the WCW card. Luger's a guy that's really fallen off in the last six months and the problem is that he kind of shows it more than most like there's other guys that are better at being pushed down the card and being okay. Um, Luger's a guy where when he's not motivated, he's just really, really average. Like he really regresses towards the, the mean Lex Luger. Um, 
it's just a bizarre pairing. Like as I said, I, I figured like you'd have been on another card with, without so many different matches higher up the card, and there's not the only one on this show. You're better off putting them both against somebody else. Um, I would have given Scott a different opponent first up, one to get a clean win and to establish his new persona. And Luger's not really going anywhere. He's just kind of there. He's Luger, he's popular, he's a babyface. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't think turning him heel particularly benefit. You just need a program for him. They don't feel like they've had one for a while. Um, just a bit of a problem. They got all the stuff with Rick going on. Um, that was the, they said that was the pretense of the angle with the giant on Nitro. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it's it, it a shit match, should be said. Um, you know, but I think we could have predicted that going in. Um, not, mostly not very long, which I guess is a positive. Um, but yeah, just there, a, a bizarre choice and, and one of those things where you were, uh, you were, uh, you can't complain when this is a result given how bad your decision making is. We will next the triple jeopardy match for the United States title between Raven, Chris Benoit and Dunn and Dallas Page. Uh, triple jeopardy match, a three-way match, first ball counts, falls count anywhere, uh, and it's no disqualification as well. Now, political maneuverings around this match, for there have been a few. Uh, Chris Benoit has not been very happy about how he's been treated recently, namely the fact that he believes that Raven and Page are, are using him, i.e. his wrestling ability, um, and they've picked him for to feud with them so that he can get them over. And he's not been very happy. So originally the plan was Raven was going to win the title from Page in a singles match. Uh, then they inserted Benoit into the match. As a way of placating Benoit, they instead decided they were going to give the title to Raven. Uh, to Benoit, sorry. Um, and then Darn Dallas Page wasn't very happy about this. So he politicked his way and he got his way into, well, retaining the titles. We're about to find out. Not, there's a fuckload going on. Let's say that. We start with a triple collar and elbow tie-up. That was different. This could be a fun match. It's no DQ and falls count anywhere too, and the first four wins the title. You already heard me say that. Another collar and triple collar and elbow sends all three to the floor. Some of they all manage to stay tied up. Page gets slammed into the steps, and Benoit sets to work on Raven back in the ring. Heenan says, Tony, this reminds you, me of your cousin's wedding that you were telling me about. Benoit then hits a splash from the top, and Page breaks up the pin. Raven spots both men standing on the outside and kind of just throws himself onto them. He actually attempts to pin both of them on the floor, but they both stay alive. We brawl up the R-way. Raven grabs a trash can, but Benoit blocks it. They put a bin onto Raven, then Paige gets two crutches, hands one to Benoit, and they both take their best shot. Each then takes it in turn to break up the other's pin attempt. Raven and Benoit then chuck, Raven and Benoit then chuck Paige through the uncensored lighting sign box thing on the stage. Page then just kind of stays there for a while and sells. Benoit then literally gets a kitchen sink. I thought that was where they came from. They literally made one available so they can say, this match had everything, including the kitchen sink. Not that that was crowbarred in or anything. Raven grabs a a table and just throws it onto Benoit. He then props the table up on the ramp, only for Benoit to throw him through it. Return to the ring, still no sign of Page. The bump, the bump didn't look too, that good to keep him out for this long, but it does at least give the match some focus. Benoit grabs the chair, and I was speaking of Page, he's now literally crawling back to the ring as Benoit slams a raven into a chair. Benoit puts Raven in a sleeper. Page then puts Benoit in one, and Raven does a double jawbreaker on both of them. All three go down. Benoit hits a lovely pair of German suplexes. He goes for a third, and then Page German suplexes both of them at the same time. 
Raven takes a trip out of the ECW playbook. He grabs a sign from Lodi that says, use my sign. He hits one of them, uh, hits Pedro over the head with it, and then he rips it off, and it turns out it's a metal stop sign. Out comes the table. Raven puts Page on the table. Benoit then smashes the sign over Raven's head. Benoit gets Raven on the top. Page is in range two. Benoit goes for a ten punch. Page gets up and then sends Benoit to the floor. Page then, and full, attempt, uh, full credit for trying, attempts the diamond cutter from the second rope through the table. It doesn't really come off as kind of Page ends up kind of bouncing over the table and Raven kind of falls short. Still, they kind of go that as the finish anyway. And Page pins Raven and retains his title. Uh, Craig, I think this was probably the highlight of the show. Uh, yeah, I, I would, uh, I'd agree. Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be remembered uh, as a classic, but it, it was fun. Uh, I, I don't know how well it'll stand the test of time, but there, there were some pretty cool moments in it. I laughed at the kitchen sink. I kind of felt a little bit underwhelmed when Paige got uh, sent through the, uh, the uncensored sign, though, because I sort of expect, expected that to sort of shatter as if it was sort of uh, glass rather than it being him offsetting some plastic. But yeah, there, there was some really cool stuff here. Uh, Raven took a lot of uh, abuse early on. Uh, Benoit, I think, largely carried uh, this year, but it had a really enjoyable pace. Uh, perhaps not the sort of prototype uh, triple threat match or whatever it is they call it instead, because uh, it, it tended to be largely, well, for most parts, not so much at the start, but one-on-one with a, a guy outside and they, they would swap over roles. But yeah, no, uh, it was the, the best thing uh, on the show. Some pretty good action, some pretty good moments, a couple of funny spots. And yeah, yeah, I, I would agree this is the best match on, on the card. Do we know? Yeah, um stuff aside, this was a, a good match. Um the only spot was like, you know, it was kind of, like you said, underwhelming about the whole table spot. I saw Ravens hit, uh, excuse me, I saw Ravens feet hit the mat, which would probably contribute to the table not breaking. If it was his torso, all that weight would have made for the spot to look awesome. Um, nonetheless, it might have been really know, horrible just, for Raven as well. If he'd, if he'd have taken the move properly, he may have ended up kind of going chest first into the side of it. Um, I think done... the trick. I think the trick is to use your your uh, to move your arms forward and fall on your you know kind of rotate your shoulders and use that kind of kind of like your shoulder block in the table. You know? Yes. And um, but that 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 shouldn't put a damper on the match. The match itself was awesome. Though. It was a lot of fun. That triple that triple uh, tie up was really cool and interesting to watch. Kind of set the tone for the whole match. You know. Yeah, they did a very good job with this. Um, you know, it's three guys that in their own way, I think all think a lot about the business. You know, there's often stories about how meticulously Paige plans his matches. Raven, we know, has got a great mind for the business and Benoit's, you know, arguably the best wrestler in the world in a lot of respects. Um, and between the three of them, they came up with a lot of really nice spots. It's not to say the match was perfect. Um, Craig, as you point out, the the bit with the sign, they just kind of shoved him through it, and the the, the perspex kind of just bent back, and then Paige just kind of knelt there and sold for a while. It wasn't really that impressive, and Paige hadn't taken that much of a beating, certainly not to warrant having to crawl his way back to the ring. 
Um, the match needed something like that, though. As innovative as the three-way spots were, they did need a bit in the middle where it wasn't just random alignment. Oh, that will now we'll team up and do this. Now I'll knock you out the ring. They did need a little bit of that singles action. Um, but yeah, just a, an innovative, different match involving three guys that I think the audience all like. Um, I liked the finish. It was ambitious. It didn't come off. Granted, I I just don't think it's a you know, I think, Devinda, to, to slightly counter your point, the reason it doesn't work is that you've kind of got to go downwards through a table to make it break. And the, the way they were doing the diamond cutter, they kind of were going forwards. And so Paige kind of went over the top and his momentum was going forwards, not downwards. And so he kind of just slid over the top of it. Um, it looks a little clunky, um, but it's kind of like, well, I, I admire what you were trying, um, you know. There's that. Um, yeah, you'll give them that. And I, I think the crowd, you know, responded to that too. Good match, as I say, politics surrounding the finish. I mean, it would have been better if Benoit had just done a diving headbutt through the table and ended it, I suppose. Um, but there we are. Anyway, speaking of politics, on to Kevin Nash versus the Giant, the powerbomb uh, now legalised again. Uh, I think I've largely gone through all the stuff surrounding this match. I will briefly reprise it. Um, essentially... Uh, you know, the, the, the angle with the Powerball and Nitro was, was leading up to this. And I believe the original plan was Giant was gonna pin Nash cleanly having hit the Powerbomb. Um, and then Nash went, no, nah, I'm not losing clean. But then there was the idea, well, he'll still do the move. And then Nash was so pissed off, they then decided that he wouldn't do the move either. They'd set up for the move and then force a DQ. So there we are. Giant is out, neck brace and all. They start by posing and locking up. Nash does a hammerlock reversal, which he looks really happy about. Giant then just turns around and flattens him with the right hand. He follows out with a walking elbow drop. Goes for a second one, but misses. Nash leans his boot into Giant's neck. Long way up that. He then puts in a sleeper. Giant then falls into the ropes and Nash drops his leg over Giant's back. Nash takes a run up at Giant, who's sat in the ropes. Giant gets a leg up and Nash takes one on his midriff. Giant picks up Nash, holds him there, and then body slams him. He shakes for a jackknife powerbomb, but out comes Brian Adams. Adams hits Giant with a baseball bat, and the ref calls for the DQ. Afterwards, Conan and Vincent come out to attack Giant. Giant sees them off with choke slams, and then snaps the baseball bat off of his knee. Davinda. Uh, yeah, uh, it was... Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was... Uh... I mean, I mean, the politics kind of got in the way of everything. I think they should have switched the whole powerbomb thing. They got it off in Nitro. They should have done it here at the pay-per-view as the big payoff, you know, and kind of teased it on Nitro instead. Um, if Hogan was, you know, had enough pull to get that to happen, you know, they should have switched it. Any, any thoughts on the match quality, Divina? Uh, the... The no, not 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 at all. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot was, of it, granted. No, it it was clunky. It was opposing, and uh, Nationals had a play to the crowd, but that 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 was about it for me, at least. That was like okay, cool. Craig, I thought this was horrendous uh, for for a blow off uh, of a, a a really program. Uh, that you basically have to lose all sort of sense of reality. And I know it's wrestling, I know, but you really need to sort of be out of your mind for any of this to make sense. And even based 
on that sort of position of complete madness, this finish was just completely ridiculous. I mean, Brian Adams, who cares? This is a sort of programme uh, between Nash and the Giant. It's meant to be the blow-off. And you just get another another crappy finish with involving NWO guys. It's just... It, I, I, I'm getting angry at myself for even sort of being so angry at this because it's so predictable that if well that was deep if, if, <laughs> if anyone's beaten the NWO guys it's not going to be beating them clean because hell they wouldn't want to sort of have anything of theirs spoiled and it just it, it really hurts things and another match that it's, this is a pay-per-view we've had a four-minute match involving uh Luger and Scott Steiner and then we've got a seven-minute match involving the Giant and uh uh, nah, don't get me wrong. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, don't give him ideas. Yeah, I don't want either of them to have had any longer. But if this is all you're giving them, why are you throwing this on pay per view? I mean, you could probably have made this a nitro main event that would have meant something rather than just a sort of throwaway and really shit uh, pay per view match. So yeah, no, I thought it was terrible. Uh, and the only thing that was worse than the match for me was the finish. I think the match was the finish in terms of. <coughs> I don't think. I the, hope it's the finish. Well, well, yeah. Um, it, it, in terms of the, the the action leading up to it, I mean, that's about as good as you'll get from those two. I mean, there was enough heat, there was enough going on. Um, but yeah, the finish was just a proper terrible cop out. Um, in terms of, you know, as, as Davinda said, like we had the big angle on, on Nitro that was really well received and granted, like a, I don't know whether giant power bombing Nash the second time would have been all that satisfying. I understand why they did it on Nitro. We're in a TV led universe right now. Um, but yeah, like you could have come up with something better than this. Um, you know, I, I almost would have rather had giant power bombing Nash here as well. Like it wouldn't have been great to have done it a second time. It would have at least made sense. Uh, as was a running Brian Adams, fucking hell. Um, you know, like one of the guys I didn't mention in, in, in the stuff, um, that I was looking at in terms of when we were discussing earlier in the show about all of this stuff with all the political stuff going on is that Adams and the disciple is, I believe, what Ed Leslie's latest gear is. Fuck, that's what he's called now. Um, they both come in. I think people have looked at that and gone, wait a minute, you're showcasing those guys? Um, you know, that's one of the, th- and it's like Brian Adams runs that. Are we going to get a Brian Adams giant match? Fucking hell. Um, anyway, there we are. Moving on next to Kurt Henning with Rick Rude versus Bret Hart. A slow start as Rudy shouting encouragement from the floor. Bret floors heading with a shoulder block, then a prototypical headlock takedown. Brett sends Henning to the floor. Henning's not happy. Rude literally at one point just grabs hold of Brett's leg. Henning can't capitalise. Can't capitalise as Brett goes for a sharpshooter. Rude jumps in the ring, flattens Brett. I've got no idea how the ref can at least work that out if he wasn't looking. Not much going on with Kurt on top. Henning goes for a standing leg lock of sorts. Henning goes to the top and then Brett crotches him. Brett rallies with a ball lock in the corner then an elbow drop from the second rope. Rude gets on the apron. We get a roll-up from Brett. Heading counters it and almost takes it. 
Bratlock's in a sharpshooter. Heading submits just before Rude can come in and attack Brett as he does after the bell. Rude busts out of Rude Awakening. Heading tries to hit Brett with a chair and actually misses. What I remember, apparently there's, there's, there was a, a quick story, I think, in the Observer this month, that apparently both Rude and Ted DiBiase are looking at their Lloyds of London contracts and wondering whether it's worth buying themselves out of them. Uh, in the sense there's now a lot of money to be made. Rude's Rude's not in perfect health, but, you know, he's in he's in the shape where he can wrestle. I don't know about Ted DiBiase, granted, uh, but that's there. Uh, Craig, what do you think of all this? I, I thought this was a, you know, a, a disappointingly poor match between two guys that probably should be able to produce better. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I was actually quite surprised when I read The Observer because it had it as one of the, the better matches of the show. I just thought it had absolutely no heat. Uh, I, I, I just... I mean, I know that if we were to start a segment called "What the fuck are WCW thinking?" it would be a really long list. But I just a segment? We have to do another show. <laughs> we could do part five, a part five podcast. But yeah, it's just like Bret Hart. What is it like? Comes off the, the one of the biggest, their biggest wrestling angle of nineteen ninety seven. WCW then have them referee a match, have a program with Flair, and now he's stuck in a program with Kurt Henning, who's who screams mid-card at, at this stage, and, and that, that hurts me because I, I love Mr. Perfect in WWF, but yeah, it's just, seven years ago uh, at SummerSlam, this was like match of the night. Here it just it just felt 40 minutes was far too long, and I would be very surprised if at SummerSlam it didn't even go a lot longer, but this just felt really sort of flat and, and tired, and it just felt a little bit like uh, both of them were... Uh, we're phoning it in, and in fact, they got 20 minutes at SummerSlam 91, and that was like a match of the night. They got five minutes less here, and it just felt really tired and long, and yeah, we've got more outside interference nonsense, and yeah, it was just, oh god, just such a sort of waste of, waste of, waste of two really good guys, because we know from watching wrestling that you can stick these guys in the ring, and they can tell a really, really good story, but this is just, I don't, I don't know if it's just because we've seen them do it better or if this was really bad eh, or, or maybe the hell same combination of both. But yeah, nah, eh, this did nothing for me and I don't understand why a lot of people were saying it was one of the better matches tonight because for me it wasn't. Craig, has this style of wrestling been left behind? Have we got a different wrestling audience now that just doesn't take to stuff like this? I wonder. I wonder if that, if that, that could indeed, eh, indeed be it. But... I th- both guys are talented enough to be able to do something different. I mean, they, they could mix it up a little bit. And, and, and but I mean, both of them are, are, are excellent on, on the mic. Well, fairly good on the mic as well. So you, you can get around that. But I, maybe I do I do take to the extent that their, uh, their style is sort of uh, a thing in the past. But I do think both guys are talented enough to uh, A, either do something completely different or B, still do that style and wow you because of how good they are at it and I, I, they, they just missed it both here and yeah I just thought that was, it was pretty cool Davina thoughts on any of that? Um, I felt like they were trying to recreate that magic it just wasn't done these are two these are two guys and, and you know what maybe I'm biased because I grew up a WWF kid so I can't picture them in a WCW ring I see it and it looks awkward to me Bret Hart isn't uh, not the one that I grew up with anymore, you know? Um, they're both great, 
great wrestlers and they got great minds for the business. They know how to put together a match that will make you see, but it just, it was an off night. And granted, you're, you're allowed to have an off night, but I just feel like us as fans in selfish and we're saying, you know, we want better. It felt, it felt, uh, I was, I was just trying to get into it and I, I couldn't, you know, and, uh, Rick Rude, uh, he looks great. And like, I, I, I heard you saying that he's not that hurt. He can still wrestle. Um, they tried to use that as a something to get people into it, but I, for one, did not. I wasn't into it. Like, I was getting excited. I'm like, okay, this is the one I want to watch. But it turned out it wasn't. Yeah, it doesn't help that this feud's pretty cold. Um, you know, it doesn't help that Henning's really cold and yeah Craig you're right it, you know any any it, it's interesting like we talk about the, the, the you know the idea that the, the Montreal thing six months ago less than six months ago is one of the bigger wrestling angles of all time Michaels is now at a point where he's probably going to be out of action for six months at least and Bret Hart's you know uh, when was Bret Hart this cold? 95? Um, WCW have done a great job cooling him down. Like, don't get wrong, whether that's Hogan's influence, whether that's, whether it's malicious or whether it's incompetence, I, I can't really be sure. I could, I could make the case for both for as long as anyone would like me to do so. Um, but yeah, like Bret's just flat. It doesn't help that, as I say, I, a lot of people liked his wrestling style last year. I wasn't blown away by it. Like, you know, he was a heel there working basically one style of match. And it worked for a lot of people, granted. Um, but Bret Hart's kind of being left behind. Um, and, you know, he he's shown the ability to adjust before. Like, he found a style that works as a heel that he didn't work as a face. So it's not like he couldn't adjust again. Um, and don't get me wrong, if, if if all you're consuming is WCW, maybe there's not a, a great list of, you know, options in terms of, well, you know, my stuff's not working, but let me have a look at what else is. Um, but I don't know that I would stand here or sit here and say that this is a... You know, this is a great match, or this is a great idea going forward. You know, if the, they're talking about holding off Brett until December, I mean, uh, like, Craig, this time a year ago, Sting and Hogan was really hot. Um, I, I, I still, having gone through it, I still don't know how they got it through to the end of the year, but they did. They kind of ran out of legs, but it didn't really matter by that point. Um, they're going to have to heat up Bret Hart some if they're going to get him ready for, for Hulk Hogan in, in front of a WCW audience. Let's not forget, Hogan's the WWF guy as well. Um, there's no guarantee that WCW fans don't just reject that match out of hand. Totally. They're going to have to sort of put Brett in the middle of a nuclear explosion to heat him to the extent that he'll be seen as a credible main eventer but then will he be seen as a credible WCW main eventer and I mean I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying I mean Brett Hart not only is he not in the top of his game but we've, we've now just been questioning whether, whether or not he's actually still of this era and then you're sticking him in a match with, with Hollywood Hogan I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that's something I want to see I can't see uh, Bret Hart coming out of that one favourably either. But yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, 
it's, it's weird, weird, weird booking uh, all round with uh, with Bret Hart, uh, and there's no way with the backstage politics uh, that he's he's going to benefit from this. I wouldn't be surprised if he did, didn't move much further up the card in the lead up just due to Hogan's politicking, and then uh, uh, the defeat on the uh, at the inevitable pay per view match. Yeah, it's just it's just weird, really shitty, shitty booking. Davina, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it, it reminded me of Steiner Luger. Two good names, talented. Uh, it may be, you know, you brought up a good point. It may be wrestling left behind. Um, the crowd is, we like different things now. You know, uh, Hogan's cool. Nash is cool. Paul's cool. These guys are great, but they may not be cool enough. And that could damper on their psyche, you know? And maybe, like you said, Hogan was in charge of some finishes, you were saying. Maybe he just didn't want the shine taken off of him. So he goes, you know, book it to be a okay match. Don't let him go off, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember back in the 96, we were talking about Bret Hart as they, they kind of approached that heel turn. And I said, well, Bret's kind of realized that he can't just stay as this white meat baby face because he's getting left behind he's now back to being the white meat baby face um I, I don't know um he needs something like it doesn't help that Hogan seemingly is kind of working things again out of his favour um but we'll see like he needs a program and he he needs a bit of reinvention um I'm not just saying turn him heel and go back to go back to what you were doing with the WWF um, you know, I don't think they could do that to one degree or another. Um, but equally, like, you know, the, the thing that isn't helping him right now is that I don't think they wanted to bring him in straight away and be this anti-NWO guy because they have their own plans for the NWO. Um, but there's so much focus on all of that now. There's there's not really anything else going on. And, you know, there are, there's, there's five hours of TV a week, so there's time. There's just not really bodies to work against if you're not going to be involved with a program with the NWO right now. Um, certainly not that many heel bodies. Like, you know, you, you could, you could turn Brett heel, but like WCW right now seem to think the only heels can exist in the NWO. I don't think you want Brett Hart in the NWO, so I don't really know where you go. Um, in the WWF, at least, he had the influence and the pull to be able to, kind of change direction himself, quite whether how easily he will be able to do that. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, moving on to so I mean it's Scott Hall with Dusty Rose versus Sting for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Sting starts off before the bell, Hall regroups on the floor. Hall hits a choke slam of swords but decides to mock the giant rather than pin Sting. Hall hits a fall away slam, only a two. Very little heat here given the stakes. They collide mid ring, Hall goes down and Sting inadvertently headbutts him in the nuts. With the ref checking Hall, Dusty minces his way into the ring and drops an elbow. How the fuck Mark Curtis didn't feel that, even if he didn't see it, I've got no idea. Hall goes to pin Sting, who kicks out. We get a ref bump, so bump, sorry. Scott decks Sting with some knuckles and Sting kicks out just about. Sting gets up, hits the Scorpion Death Drop and retains the title. After the match, he then does a crotch chop in the direction of an irate Dusty. Uh, Davinder, it didn't have much build going in and boy did it show. Uh, yeah. Uh, see, as a heel, uh, it's just weird for me. The crotch chop at the end was a nice touch because uh, you're just so used to Sting being 
stoic, just no emotion, no joking around like that. I don't know if anybody caught it, but I'm sorry, what was the referee's name? Mark Curtis, I think. His facial expression when he got the bump was anybody can go back and just look at that one facial expression. That wasn't, that was just a, a, a nice chuckle for me. But, um, uh, the hall is over and I, I feel like the crowd could have bought him winning the title. But, um, I don't know what that would have done in the Hogan camp, both in the show and behind the scenes, you know? Hogan wants all the shine to himself. Again, it's just insecure and, you know, selfish. But, um, it, uh, the finish was cool. I like the, uh, the death drop part. The brass knuckles, I, I feel like, damn, it should have been more desperation to the kick out or something. He could have sold it more. I'm not sure, but, uh, it, uh, it was, a, it was a good match. Again, it didn't live up to the billing. And, uh, I guess it, it had a rightful spot being, uh, not in the main event to Hogan and Savage, but, uh, it did its job. Craig, what do you think? I was actually taken by surprise that there was a WCW title match on uh, this pay-per-view. Such little build uh, it got, and you can certainly see that that hurt this match. I'll tell you what isn't surprising, though. Interference in a match involving someone in the NWO, uh, it's difficult to sort of take that that, that seriously in pay-per-view matches, or indeed any matches now, that you're always going to get that, that run in. And even... And this was this was pretty bang average anyway, but it just sort of whatever little momentum it had, uh, it it was killed by that. Uh, you, you're right about the bump and Rhodes throwing a guess probably a near four hundred pound elbow. Again, stupid. You have to suspend belief, and there are many other things I'd rather suspend than belief when it comes to seeing this match again. Yeah, uh, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to round off with being slightly positive. Believe it or not, after that little diatrab, I thought. Uh, Paul worked a lot harder than he usually does in this match, but yeah, it was still quite shit. Yeah, um, it was the match that befit the build, and it didn't have much build. Um, you know, Sting has a far better title match against, <coughs> against Dallas Page uh, in a couple of Nitro's time. Um, and yeah, maybe it's a, an offset of all the stuff going on backstage with Hall, but didn't seem all that motivated. Wasn't much heat for it. Um, never any drama in terms of Hall winning the title. Uh, again, it's it's difficult to assign blame to any one individual person. Um, but there we are. Uh, anyway, so on. It's Michael Buffers on hand, which only means it's time for the main event. I was supposed to have said at one time we announced the opening match. It's Hogan versus Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage with Liz in East Steel. Cage match. He for Hogan. Well, the chanting Hogan sucks anyway. That's what maybe where Six got his inspiration from for Raw. More intensity than all for these two. That is to say there's any at all. Hogan gets a big foot up, as Giovanni calls it. Not sure that was set up like a proper big boot, though. The cage, more so than normal, makes it very hard to watch this match, though for once that actually might be a good thing. Hogan starts choking and whipping Savage with a belt. Savage rallies with the belt and he gets a big shot in which pops the crowd. Savage charges at Hogan, who backdrops him hard into the cage. That looks really good. Particularly Savage kind of ended up tumbling down towards the mat. Hogan's bloodied, he's, he's bladed, but the match isn't really going anywhere. The door randomly gets opened, Savage gets his head slammed into it, and then it gets locked shut again. Both men are passed out on the deck, and then Savage just snaps to life. 
Cyrus goes to the top of the case, then Coppers comes off of it and manages just about to hit Hogan with an axe angle. Uh, at least he did this time, unlike what happened in, uh, in October. Hogan kicks out. Uh, both men are bladed by this point, which means we go to WCW widescreen, which means we can't see anything because it's being shot from so far away. I'd point out the fact this is called uncensored, but I don't have the energy to do it. Outcomes of fuck whatever Ed Leslie's called these days. He decks the ref on the outside, unlocks the door, and then throws the other ref into the cage. Sarah is on the top. Leslie goes him down, and it's not Hogan, and, and, and it's now Hogan and Butcher versus Savage. Oh. Hogan and Leslie, whatever you want to call him. Here comes Sting. He repels from the ceiling and lands straight on the cave, which is really impressive. It's two on two, at least I think it is. Uh, there's there's no drama anyway, but there's even less drama because they can't shoot it up close because of the blood. So we just watch this from really far away through a cage you can't really see through. Um, Savage then floors Sting to no reaction whatsoever. He dies out of the cage. Hogan, for what it's worth, doesn't seem to be happy about it. We finally get a close-up of Hogan, who's now mysteriously unbloodied. And that's how we go off the air. Uh, Craig, um, it's not the first time we've seen a really randomly terrible Hogan-Savage match, but they are becoming quite common. Yeah, they, they are, aren't they? Uh, this is probably, it's got to rank as one of the worst matches of both men's careers. And I was just thinking, what with all that interference, if only the WCW had thought of maybe, I don't know, putting this in a steel cage or something like that. This is just so, so ridiculous. What is the point in having steel cage stipulation when you've got hundreds of guys piling into the ring? And you also had the bloody point where Savage and Hogan were brawling on the outside. What's the point of the cage? Genuinely, what is the point of the cage? Uh, if perhaps only so that's the debate rather than how shit was that uh, this was terrible I mean is it, what, what has it been three or four months since Hogan last turned on Sting just just shit <laughs> just pointless pointless shit I, I would if I'm being optimistic uh, I would like to imagine that the plan initially was something great uh, or at least significantly better but typically uh, all the backstage bullshit turned this into uh, in front of the camera bullshit. Yeah, a, a terrible, terrible main event. What a sort of... It, it's that, like it, I guess it's sort of by the US title match, it was at the peak of this show and it's just been downhill, but Christ, they really dragged it into the gutters of shit with that main event, didn't they? They did. Davinda? Yeah, it wasn't what I expected. Uh, it seems like every match where the NWO is involved, everybody is going to get involved especially their low-card guys. Um, they tried to make it as exciting as possible with the Sting stuff, but uh, it, was, it wasn't... I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't enjoy this kind of a shitty way to end a pay-per-view that I was looking like... I, I was excited with the first couple matches, but the main event sort of killed everything. Buzzkill. Boner dropped to the ground. Yeah. Um... We've seen this, <coughs> we've seen this before with Hogan and Savage. Um, uh, just, you know, I don't think it's the worst match they've had together in WCW. Um, that is about as much praise as I can give it. It was not a good match. It was not interesting. It wasn't really dramatic. Um, like I say, maybe there was some drama in the back third of the match. We couldn't freaking see it. Um, as we just cut to this really big wide angle because they're both bladed. 
And then it's nonsensical finish. 1998. Why is the butcher still getting airtime? And then Sting comes out, levels up the numbers. Savage knocks him out. No one gives a shit. And then he just walks off. And that's it. And it's just like, yep. That's the end of that. And that's the end of our show review. Divinity, overall thoughts on the show, and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, I, it was, they tried to do a cliffhanger thing, and uh, it didn't come across as well. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, undercard more than I liked the card uh, later on in the night. I think it uh, goes back to what you said in the beginning of the show. Just no room at the top. There's just so many guys. And it's a shame because they're all talented and, and it's, uh, it's, uh, discouraging to know that some of them are not happy. Some of the more talented guys, Malenko, Benoit, Ray, these guys can put on some awesome matches. And, uh, the Hogan Savage thing sold the pay-per-view. But I'm glad that, um, the undercard made me keep my ticket, so to say, you know? Uh, a score rating dividend? Out of 10? Ah, it just, it, it landed in the middle. It was starting off really strong, but a six, seven being this nice. Isn't a se- this isn't a seven show. I gave WrestleMania a seven and a half. There's no way this is a seven. I don't want to I mean, it, It's but... just the ending. The ending made me like, ugh. Uh, okay, uh, you know, it's your show. I'll do an eight. You got an eight? Eight? I'm go- I'm going up because I'm thinking of the guys in the beginning. The ending just killed it. I, was, I, was, I thought I was being nice with the seven, but the ending just made me drop it back to like a. It ended in the middle, Bob. Five. Five. I mean, I don't like it's, it's your score, right? It's your opinion. But I, like, I know, this, but it's this. just it's just I'm it it balances off because the the beginning was had me so excited, and then the end when the stars are supposed to come out. That's when everything is supposed to go off the roof. Welcome they, to they, every WCW pay-per-view of the last two and a half years. Only because of this assignment, I started watching WCW, and I see the talent in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? Star power is there, but the talent's in the right. I, I, uh, yeah, f- five, final answer. If this is an eight show, then it better be scored out of a hundred. I'll say that. Uh, Craig, your overall thoughts on this show to score rating out of ten? If this show ended after the US title match, so it was a one and a half hour pay per view, I'd have probably given this a seven. Uh, but it really sort of an unsatisfying, absolute drivel fest at the end. Uh, I mean, I, I can't give this a five because that would be pass mark. So I'm I'm coming in at a four because this was is 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 good. As the opening first half was, it wasn't great. It was good. There are some WCW pay per views where the the bit before the old guys come in is great, but it was good tonight. But I think this is as bad as anything else uh, for that that home straight. So yeah, uh, a four out of ten. And yeah, I I would if if anyone's li- for for all of those listening to this podcast, if you're thinking, right, I'm going to go and watch the show. I plead with you, just turn it off after the US title match. You'll be fine. I'd probably just watch the US title match. Um, you were saying they, welcome to every WCW pay-per-view. Is this what it was after the NWO came in? Um, By this stage, it, it was. Just, there's, it, did, there's, it just uh, seemed like such a hot angle. It seemed like it took over everything. 
having people like Conan in the NWO though. I think that's when they just started packing it full of uh, jobbers. That's it, it, it lost its appeal when you had worthless people like Vincent and and the likes uh, involved in the NWO. Back in 1996, it was it was hot, uh, and they just rolled rough shot over the, the rest of the WCW, and that was great. But by this stage, it had just been diluted down to such a, a preposterous... Could you imagine if Conan had been unveiled as a third man uh, back in 1996? Everyone would have shat all over it. But yet, we're still meant to believe right now that he's a credible member. Yeah, no, I'm not having it. And it's just... It's watered down, and they're just dominating... Uh, everything and you've got guys that are really super talented just stuck in the opening couple of bouts as you've got shit fest like that steel cage match closing the show L- let, me, let, me, let me ask you guys this because you guys are more knowledgeable in WCW than I am I mean this is going to be my reference to WCW now this pay per view that I watched that. <laughs> um, it's it's okay. I mean, I was I was enjoying the the first half. Uh, a lot of good talent, but let me ask you this: if, if it had been anybody else would it have been in a better state than it is now? If it, let's say hypothetically, if uh, third man, is it because of egos or Hogan's pull is that that's why it's in its state that it is now? Or it, it would mean, it have made a difference if anybody else was the third man? Well, I mean, let me, let me go back to the first question you asked. I mean, I, I think, WCW pay-per-views for the last couple of years have have basically followed the same pattern. What makes this show quite extreme is that WCW pay-per-views have generally followed that you have a a good, well-wrestled, if not better, undercard, and then the big stars come out, the quality tends to drop, and then your mileage will vary on how interesting it gets. Sometimes it's worked. There's been some decent tail ends of cards when they've been well booked involving storylines that have been good. Yeah, there was a, I think there was a, a six man, I think in May last year involving Roddy Piper and, and Ric Flair that was really, really good. That whole show was very good. Um, what makes this show kind of a, an outlier is that the, the, the main event stuff starts so early. Like this is the, the undercard quality is generally pretty typical for a WCW card. It just so happens that we only got three of those matches on previous shows we were getting sometimes six or seven and that was like the first two hours of the show and then the big guys got involved because they wanted to stack the deck so much we ended up with this elongated top end of the card that was like two-thirds of the show and the quality was just as bad um i think that's that's that to come to the other question i mean i guess the question is what do you do with hulk hogan i mean hulk hogan's contract I think was up, I believe, at the end of 96. I may be wrong on that. It may have just been a, a contract through the end of 97. It's pro- Craig, it's probably too difficult a question to answer, isn't it? Like, what if Hulk Hogan's not in the NWO? What happens? Like, if Hulk Hogan not being in the NWO, there's too many moving parts to, to address that question. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understood, yeah. Go on, Craig. I know I was just going to say, quite possibly, that there probably are too many uh, spinning plates there, but... Uh, if Hogan's sort of using things to, to, to leverage a new contract, I'm not entirely convinced main events like that are really going to make much of a difference. Well, it will if people keep buying the shows and he keeps drawing. I don't think it'll matter. Uh, but yeah, I'll give the show a 3 out of 10. It's not. The post-uncensored episode of Nitro started with a reclamp of the events from the pay-per-view the night before, which saw Savage turn on Sting. 
The NWO came out at Club Lavella to kick off the show. Hogan celebrated Nash's win last night and said that he was the real giant in wrestling. Hogan then welcomed Savage back into the NWO because it's for life. He announced he would be teaming tonight with Savage against Sting and Luger, which gave Savage the chance to prove himself. Goldberg squashed Lodi with a spear and jackhammer combo. The flock tried to attack him afterwards, but he crushed them all before having a stare down with Saturn, who watched on. Ultimo Dragon defeated Fit Finley with a Dragon Sleeper in a short match that could have done with more time. Scott Norton took on Chris Adams, squashing him in a couple of minutes with a shoulder breaker. They showed a clip of fans having fun at the beach earlier that day before highlights of a bikini contest the crowd missed Nitro 1998. Mikey Enos and Wayne Bloon took on Davy Boy Smith and Jin Neidhart to round off the first hour. The crowd chanted Bloring and the match broke down into a brawl where ended with Davy hitting a power slam for the win after around 5 minutes. Bischoff, Savage and Elizabeth came out to kick off hour number 2. Bischoff apologised to the two of them for what they had gone through but said what is important is that Savage had seen the light and was back with the NWO. Bischoff moved in for the hug but Savage pushed him away. Savage vowed to beat Sting for the world title, which would put him in charge of the NWO, and then Hogan would learn what it was like to be at the bottom of the pecking order. Raven hit the ring for a promo. The flock had its own mini island floating next to the ring. Raven said Crispin Wilde cost him the US title. He said that Paige deserted him many years ago. Raven said he knew the snake was out there watching and that the snake would want it this way. Raven then took on Chris Benoit. They had a brutal, hard-hitting match that got plenty of time. Raven picked up the win with a DDT onto a chair. This was an excellent TV match. Eugene Ngata took on Erlis Miller, with Miller picking up the win in the second match of the night to earn boring chance. Next up, we had Ray Trailer taking on Scott Steiner. Trailer clotheslined Steiner over the guardrail into the pool before hitting up top, but Bagwell ran down and crotched him. Steiner followed with a top rope Frankensteiner and the camel clutch for the win. Chavo Guerrero Jr. came out for a match, but Eddie interrupted him on the aisle and told him to wear the My Favourite Wrestler is Eddie Guerrero t-shirt. Chavo then faced Booker T in a match that Booker T won quickly with another missile dropkick. Next up, DDP took on Reese in a match that Paige won quickly with a diamond cutter out of nowhere. This was followed by Chris Jericho defending his WCW Cruiserweight title against Juventud Guerrero. Before the match, Jericho reeled off his list of trophies from the last few months, which included Rey Mysterio's knee, Juvie's mask and Dean Milenko's dignity. Jericho vowed to keep the Texas Cloverleaf alive, renaming it the Jericho Maple Leaf. Jericho sensed he was in trouble after a DDT from Juvie, so he used the title for the DQ after a really fun match. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came out to their survey. Nash bragged about knocking the giant out with a baseball bat and dared the giant to come fight. The giant did come out and Hall and Nash bailed with Nash cannonballing into the pool to escape. Giant got a hold of Hall and threw him into the pool too. Our main event saw Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage take on Sting and Lex Luger. They teased that Sting wouldn't show and Luger would have to fight in his own, but the helicopter flew over the club and Sting repelled down to the ring from a chopper. Savage tried to leave but the disciple blocked his path and Hogan took him out from behind and threw him back in the ring. When Savage eventually tagged in Hogan, Hogan also tried to leave, but Savage ran him down and threw him back inside. The match broke down, Luger put Hogan in the rack, and the Disciple attacked for the DQ to bring the show to a close. Hey yo! Somebody say something about spring break? Tell the party police... There ain't no rules. So, let's get to it. 
It's survey time. So is everybody here at spring break? Are you here to see WCW? Everybody here at spring break to see them. One more for the good guys. Hey, before I get into this, uh, some of you guys out there, make sure you're nice to the fat girls over spring break, right? They need a little loving too. just got done killing one giant here a couple of minutes ago. And last night, anybody that saw the pay-per-view, and there were millions, got a chance to see moi, the big sexy giant killer. Do a Mark McGuire imitation and knock him out. He knocked a man out. And you know the funny thing is, I ain't seen the giant all day, and I know he ain't got the guts to show up at spring break, because if he did, I'd give him the proverbial beating of his life. I dare you. I dare you, Kev. Feeling pretty good, aren't they? So, giant, if you're anywhere out there, I'm in a real good mood. Me and Scott want to give you a beating. Are you anywhere? Giant? Giant. Hey, Giant. That's your cue. Giant? Oh, Giant. Just as I thought, he hasn't got enough to show up. Yeah, he do. Oh, yes, he does. You ask... You ask and you shall receive. And the neck brace is off. The neck brace is off, but I tell you guys. You, you know, you're lucky I got these flip-flops on, and boy, I'd give you a beating. The Giants coming out, but remember, both members of the Outsiders, the World Tag Team Champs, are there. Scott Hall's in the ring, telling Kevin Nash, go get it. We saw what the Giant did a couple of months ago or weeks ago, just tore the ring down by himself. He can do it again. Man. This is exactly what you knew. Guys, you knew they didn't want any part of the Giant. Here he comes. You know, Giants, you're lucky that I'm the 1998 Cannonball Champion of Spring Break. <laughs> I love it. Well, only here on Nitro. Uh, Scott Hall better hit the water, too. I would much rather hit the water than get chokeslammed. Whoops. Whoop. Better get up. Too late. He may forcibly hit the water. Uh, you know, he's got him right by the seat of his pants. World's biggest wedgie. <laughs> and I... And he's going to go in to the drink. 
NWO member number three to hit the water tonight. I wonder if we can have that fish stuffed. <laughs> well, I was wrong. It does float, doesn't it? The world's biggest grouper. <laughs> Back with our main event. It's Hollywood Hogan of the Macho Man Randy Savage against Stu. 23rd of March edition of Nitro started with Rowdy Roddy Piper coming out for a promo. Piper promises there will be no more bats in WCW, which the crowd booed. Piper then clarifies that there will be no more bats until Spring Spampede, where he and the Giant will take on Nash and Hogan in the first ever bat mat. Piper says he wants revenge for Halloween Havoc and he wants a match with Savage tonight. Ultimo Dragon defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. in a short but fuck match with a Dragon Sleeper. Gene then interviewed Eddie in the ring. Eddie said Chavo had embarrassed their family. Eddie had told him to win and Chavo had not done that. Eddie apologised to all his brothers and his mum and ordered Chavo to apologise to Grandma. Eddie said he would show Chavo how it was done when he beat a Japanese wrestler, probably better than the one that just beat Chavo later tonight. Hogan and Bischoff came out for a promo. Hogan says the NWO isn't afraid of the giant or Rowdy Roddy Piper, with or without baseball bats. He ran down both men for a while and said that when he and Nash get finished with them, it's going to be too sweet. Scott Steiner squashed Wayne Bloom after a middle rope Samoan drop and the Steiner recliner. We round off the first hour of a quick Psychosis versus Lodi match. After some crazy high spots, Psychosis picked up the win with a guillotine leg drop. We kick things off on the second hour of Nitro with DDP vs Sting. They had an intense match which captivated the crowd as both guys looked for their finishes early and the fans bought that the match could end at any point. The finish saw Page looked for a diamond cutter out of the corner but Sting held onto the ropes to block it and hit a scorpion death drop for the win. This was a very good TV match and it got a lot of time. Sting helped Page to his feet afterwards and saluted him with the diamond cutter sign. Lex Luger took on Rick Fuller. Lex picked up the wind after some clothesline and an elbow before locking on the rack, which the place went crazy for. Eddie Guerrero defeated his Japanese opponent as he promised when he defeated Kaz Hayashi with a frog splash. After the match, Ultimo Dragon came down to check on Cash, and it seemed like Eddie had ordered Chavo to jump Ultimo. Chavo refused, so Eddie slapped him and ordered him to hold the ropes open for him as he left the ring. We had a Conan video package ahead of him taking on Prince Ikea. With what felt like his first offensive move on the match, Ikea picked up the win with a Northern Lights suplex. Chris Jericho came down for a promo and was interrupted by Lenny Lane. Jericho asked Lane why he was there, to which Lane replied that Jericho owed him $1,000 for dressing like Jericho for the double cross on Malenko before uncensored. Jericho refused to pay and said that Lane actually owed him $1,000 because he can't get the stink out of the tights that Lane wore. Lenny slapped Jericho, which led to a match between the two. They went back and forth for about two minutes before Jericho won with the Lion Tamer. Into the third hour, we had Hogan and Nash taking on the Giant in a handicap match. They did a good job portraying the Giant as a monster until the Disciple attacks for a DQ. Things broke down into a brawl which ended with the Giant chokeslamming Bischoff and the NWA running for their lives. Booker T defended his WCW World TV Championship against Chris Benoit. They had a really fun match that went about 7 minutes until the bell rang which baffled the crowd and announcers alike. We were told that it was a 10 minute draw, much to the crowd's dissatisfaction. Booker grabbed his belt and celebrated like he'd won. Kurt Hennig, accompanied by Rick Rude who joined commentary, took on David Boy Smith. When it became apparent that David was on top, Rude made his raid down to ringside. David hit a running power slam and grabbed Rude who had jumped on the apron, but Rude handcuffed him to the top rope for the DQ. Hennig and Rude double teamed him until Brett ran out for the save. 
Brett Atomic dropped Rude out of the ring and put Henning in the sharpshooter. The NWO B-team hit the ring and Brett ran them all off by himself. Brett freed Davy Boy, he got on the mic and says that whenever he sees injustice, he will be there. We had a recap from Thunder where the NWO jumped Rick Steiner until Goldberg ran out to make the save, taking out the NWO B-team with a catalogue of spears. This was followed by Goldberg extending his unbeaten streak to 16-0 by squashing Renegade with a jackhammer in less than a minute. Our main event sees Randy Savage taking on Roddy Piper. They traded wild punches from the off. Piper looked for a pile driver on the floor, but Liz prevented it. Liz got bumped, and the ref was checking on her, so Hogan and Nash ran down with a bat. Hogan ordered Nash to hit Savage with a bat, but Nash went for Piper instead. Hogan snatched the bat away from Nash, and they argued. Sting showed up with a bat of his home, which called Hogan and Nash to back off, but Savage jumped Sting from behind. The Giant ran down to make the save. Sting, Piper and Giant stood tall in the ring to round off the show. I was a little constipated, but I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Louisville, I was born a wildcat, man. Home of the Louisville Slugger. Hey, better, 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 better. Hey, swing. It's gone. It's gone. Holy cow. God bless Harry Carey. I have been asked to come here as a consultant. (laughs) I I like that. (laughs) They say the NWO is getting out of control. They say WCW is getting out of control. I agree with you. They said, what can you do? I thought to myself, the problem seems to be, since we're in Louisville, it was with bats. So we're going to have no more bats in the WCW and now Nitros, no more bats at all. That's great news. Until April the 19th, in which case what we're going to do is we're going to take a bat and we're going to bat a bat right in the middle of the ring higher than Michael Jordan can jump. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and get me a partner. I'm going to go and get the giant as a partner. The giant... The giant is back there eating a pound of bacon, a dozen eggs, and three midgets. Ah, we're going to be the all-star team. You see, Nash and Hogan, they seem to like to play with bats. Hogan's directing traffic. Nash is hitting people. They like to play with bats. We're going to have the very first bat match. You know what, Roddy Piper? I'm going to compliment you because you've got one of the greatest... uh, records and far as bats are concerned. Hey, <laughs> better, 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 better. I'll tell you something. You see, with the giant, he's got a big heart. Big guy, big heart. He got to learn to get nasty. And I'm going to show him how to get nasty. And I'm going to give him that bat. And I'm going to let him smash Nash. <laughs> April 19th. In Denver, Colorado, I'm going to give Hogan a new slogan. And that's what we're going to do. But that's not all the business. Tonight is going to be a night of action if I'm consulting. 
Are you on a retainer? <laughs> no. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We got two giants here. We got one giant saying he's the real giant, and we got the real giant. Now, we got Nash, who hits him over the head with a bat, and then runs away. We got Nash, who jumps in a pool, swims halfway to Cuba, and then come back and says he's a real giant. I say, tonight, we put them both in the ring. Let them fight it out, and we'll see who can go beat by foe bum at the end of the night. It's going to be a night of action. Hey, better, 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 wait a second. One more thing and I'm out of here. Randy Savage. The guy they say is madness. There's going to be action. How do you see Randy Savage? They say he's out of control. Now, him and Hogan, I don't know what. Are you ex-lovers? Is this what's going on? One guy says he's the head of the NWO. The other guy says he's the end of the O. I really don't care. What I'm going to do, because the last thing I remember is I was handcuffed to a cage and Randy Savage hammering on my head. I didn't need no more brain damage. I got all the brain damage I need. What I'm going to do, I'm not the kind of guy to say, let's wait till tomorrow and fight. Let's wait till the next day and fight. I'm the guy that spent the night in Alcatraz. I'm right out of the cuckoo's nest. I was with a psychiatrist. I put him in a straitjacket. Tonight, tonight, I'm going to fight Randy Savage. And you'll find out when I'm good, I'm good. And when I'm bad, I'm better. The final Nitro of the month opened with a recap from Thunder of Nash confronting Hogan about the leadership of the NWO. Our opening match saw High Voltage take on Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. They traded power moves until Giant made his way down and chokeslammed all four men for the DQ. Giant got on the mic and said that Piper had wanted Mean, so now he's got Mean. Gene Okerlund then brought Piper out for a promo. He made another joke about Hogan and Nash being ex-lovers before booking Nash in a tag team match against Sting and Luger, with Nash being able to pick any partner he wanted except Hogan. Piper also booked himself against Hogan before revealing the real name of the disciple was E. Harrison Leslie. Saturn, with the flock, won a short but excellent match against Finn Fitney with the rings of Saturn. Saturn called out Goldberg after the match. Scott Hudson did the road report, plugging Thunder at the Ice Palace in Tampa, Florida on Thursday. Hogan, Bischoff and a bunch of B-teamers came out for a promo. Hogan says that Disciple is the leader of all the people who worship the ground Hogan walks on. Hogan brought up Kevin Nash, which brought him out to the ring. Hogan said Nash couldn't use anyone from the NWO as his partner tonight. Nash said there were a plenty of guys in the group waiting to stick the knife in Hogan's back, but Nash was different because he was willing to shoot Hogan right between the eyes. Hogan says they can settle their differences after the pay-per-view. Nash says he already has a partner and Hogan's could spend the rest of the evening trying to figure out who it is. Chris Jericho came out. He dedicated the following match to the memory of Dean Malenko. 
He then faced Marty Giannetti, who he submitted with the Lion Tamer in not, mu- not much more than a minute. Jericho got back on the mic, and he claimed to know a 1,004 holds, which he had listed on a giant piece of paper. Jericho then began to read out his holds. Number one, arm drag. Number two, armbar. Number three, moth-covered, free-handled family gridundle. Number four, armbar. This continued until he went to commercial. Back from the break, Jericho was still going, up to number 712. Prince Ikea came out and said that he'd been trained by Milenko so he wouldn't let Jericho disrespect him, which caused Jericho to bail. Ikea then defeated Glacier in a short match with a Northern Light suplex. Juventud Guerrero defeated El Dandy in a two-minute match with a Hoovy driver. Chavo Guerrero took on Kaz Hayashi and picked up the win with a Tornado DDT. Chavo then helped Kaz to his feet after the match, seeing as Eddie wasn't around. Raven was out to cut a promo on DDP. Raven says Paige was the one who picked him up after his first stint at rehab. He said four years ago when Paige was fired by WCW, Raven had lent a shoulder to cry on. But Raven had spent years in Barbed Wire City and Paige could have made one phone call and got him into WCW, but hadn't because he was jealous and scared that Raven would be a bigger star. Raven then took on Buff Bagwell. DDP came through the crowd in a minute and chased Raven away. Buff won by countdown. DDP returned to the announce desk to cut a promo, having chased Raven away. He said that while Raven had helped him in the past, he had helped him too. Paige said that Scotty was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and went to private schools, while Paige's mum was a divorced mother of three before she was 20. DDP said his whole life had been turning negatives into positives. Disco Inferno vs Kidman rounded off the second hour. They had a basic but fun TV match which saw Disco hit a pile driver for the win. Into the third hour, and we kick things off with Jim Hyderhart versus Kurt Henning. Nido had caught Henning in a bear hug early, so Rude ran in and shoved down the ref for the DQ. Nidehart attacked Rude, but Henning cut him off and they handcuffed Nidehart to the ropes. David Boy Smith ran out to make the save, but Brian Adams prevented this and hit a pile driver on Davy. The three of them beat on Nidehart and Davy until Brett ran down to save the day. Brett then got on the mic and says that he's going to tear the NWO down brick by brick until he gets to Hollywood Hogan. We got a rematch from last week's 10 minute draw with Booker T defending his TV title again against Chris Benoit. By the end of this match the crowd were really into it and went back and forth with big moves with Benoit looking on the cross face but Booker making it to the ropes. They were trading strikes when the bell rang signalling that they had again reached another 10 minute time limit draw. Neither the fans nor the wrestlers seemed too happy with this. Ultimo Dragon vs Psychosis went 2 minutes before the flock attacked Psychosis for the DQ. Dragon and Psychosis teamed to fight off the flock and stood tall together. Goldberg, who was insanely over on this week, continued his winning streak by taking it to 67-0, defeating Ray Trailer with a jackhammer. Saturn had to be held back by the rest of the flock after the match. Next up we have Sting and Luger taking on Nash and his mystery partner. Buffer did his intro for Nash and asked him who his partner was, but Nash told him to get the others out there. As Sting and Luger were about to get in the ring, Savage rushed in and jumped Sting, pile driving on the floor and beating him with the world title belt. Savage worked over Sting on the floor while Nash took care of Luger in the ring. The brawling continued until Hogan came out and tried to attack Sting, but Sting took him out. Luger got Nash in the rack, but the stiple stunned Luger and put Nash on top for the pinfall. Piper ran in and attacked Hogan, starting our main event for the evening, but Hogan and the Disciple double-teamed him and dragged him to the back. Eventually, Hogan and Piper brought out from backstage down the ramp. Both men traded low blows before Piper hooked on a sleeper, but the Disciple attacked again for the DQ. The Disciple then stunned Piper. Nash head down to the ring and holds Piper up to get punched, but Piper ducked and Hogan hit Nash. 
Nash and Hogan argued, and the giant ran down and chased them and the disciple away before helping Piper to his feet to wrap up the month on Nitro. Anyway, that will largely wrap up the show. There are three weeks of television. There's some interesting stuff, but nothing go out of your way to see. I think Noteworthy was the the, the Nitro of the, the fourth one. I mean, the third one's very noteworthy. The Spring Break episode that aired opposite um, Monday Night Raw was... Well, 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 that didn't air opposite Monday Night Raw, sorry, because Raw was moved to the Tuesday. Noteworthy in the sense that it drew like a 5.1 rating or whatever I said in the show. Um, and it also had, you know, as I say, four of the... Yeah, one after another, the four highest rated wrestling matches in, in cable TV history, or the four most watched, highest rated probably isn't correct, but viewership probably is, just because wrestling's so hot. That was a spring break episode, so if you like seeing shows outside with people getting thrown into swimming pools, you'll like that show. Uh, the fourth night show of the month was quite noteworthy in the sense that it ran opposite the roar uh, leading up to WrestleMania. And, and WCW were quite keen to not only kind of carry on that bounce from the week before, but also kind of draw eyebrows, uh, eyebrows, eyeballs away from, from Raw on the, on the same night. Open with a Roddy Piper angle. Uh, open the start of our number two with Sting and Dine Dance Page in a 10 minute long title match. Probably Sting's best title match in about two years, that. Or it's probably Sting's best match, sorry, in about two years. Not that he's had many. Him and Dallas Dallas Page did really, really well. Uh, then they opened up our number three with, uh, Giant against Piper, sorry, Giant against Hogan and Nash, I think. And then they main evented the show with Piper against Savage and a run in and all the above. So stuff going on TV, nothing really worth discussing, but we'll have given you some of the best promos from the, the last few weeks. Uh, that will wrap up this month's show. A big thank you to Davinda Vargas. Davinda, thank you very much. Of course, anytime. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Craig, awesome to work with you, sir. Thanks very much. Uh, Davinda, hey, I'll, I'll, Craig, I'll come to you in a second. Davinia, I know you've got lots of things to plug. Uh, how, how is the uh, how is the wrestling going? Uh, uh, what can you tell us? Uh, the wrestling is actually going really well. Uh, they're telling me. I mean, there there are days that I'm that I'm not, you know, doing so well because uh, there's a lot of things to learn. They're very very interesting. But uh, I'm well, coming what along. What stage are you up to in terms of your your development? What are you doing now? Uh, now we're doing spots off the top rope. Um, I've learned that the clothesline is my favorite move to do because uh, they, they now uh, I guess the stage that I'm at now they're already asking about what character I want to do my music. Uh, so that that sounds to me like they're ready to um, not debut me, but they're kind of looking at me like this guy's coming along doing really well. I always have a, I have a good rapport with the owner. I'm always asking questions and he loves that apparently. Uh, all the trainers love that I'm always asking questions because I want to make sure I get this right. Um, but yeah, we're doing spots off the top rope, superplexes. Uh, we're running matches now. We're running practice matches. They'll lay out a match for us and see how we do. Um, facial expressions, promos. Uh, they say around the debuting. So, uh, uh, here's to that, you know, like I'm, I'm just excited for it. I'm really excited. Yes, as you should be. And, and, and anything you want to plug, anything you want to promote? Yeah, yeah. Wrestling Revolution every Friday night, uh, at CNRA Theater in McAllen, Texas. You can check out their YouTube channel, WRSTX. Uh, they have weekly videos of their highlights. Uh, they're good guys. And, uh, they, um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I'm very grateful for that. We're going to be doing the RGV uh, Comic Con out here, <clears throat> a weekend of shows. So uh, look out for that. Definitely look it up on YouTube so you can check out what they're like. Craig Wilson, Craig, thank you very much. Hey, no, thank you very much for uh, having me, although I'm still trying to work out what I did wrong that you made me sit through Uncensored 1998. Uh, perhaps we can discuss that offline if we've had a fallen out. But yeah, no, yeah. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know me, I quite like you sometimes. I'm happy with a po- doing a podcast if I can talk about tag team wrestling or get really angry about something. So you've been able to pick up these one of those. What, one or two, one or two, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. The, there's always that. You won't, you won't get much of the the, uh, the former on, on WCW users. <laughs> no. uh, Craig, tell people about their that your blog and uh, and anything else you'd like to promote. Uh, yeah, uh, you can find sort of me and uh, all the social media links on my blog, which is ringthedambell.wordpress.com. Which, if you're listening to this. I would like to think my blog might be entirely up your street. Uh, although talking about terrible uh, pay-per-views, I'm currently writing up my notes for WrestleMania 9 as I work my way through uh, the Raws from 1993. Although I'm proud to say I'm sitting wearing an Ico Pro t-shirt doing it, so I do feel like I am in 1993. Representing. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is, uh, this, is, this is my last ever show. I may not ever... Um, but I, I have, you know, I, I kind of formally signed off with volume number one, so perhaps shouldn't do it twice. But um, this is the show we're taping last. Um, and as Craig said, well, it was a straw that broke the camel's back watching Uncensored, but there we are. Uh, yes, I, I'm kind of stepping away for a while as uh, you, you just run out of legs of these things. So it was nice to do a show again with Craig, who's been from the start, and, and Devinder is one of the guys that's joined most recently. Um, you know, the show will continue on. Don't worry about that. There's going to be more terrible WCW shows to review. It just won't be with me, certainly not for a while. Uh, I'm just stepping back. I'm, I'm just burnt out on, on, on wrestling as a whole. Um, you know, I, I've been doing this show for four and a half years. I think we started... August 93 was the first show me and Craig did. Like, you know, I would have been getting on for five years this August. Um, and eventually you do just kind of run out of legs and I've kind of hit my lifespan, certainly for now. Um, so the guys will continue on the show. You don't have to worry about that. That'll be carrying on. I'm still going to be editing them. So I'll still be around. I wouldn't rule out a return in some way, shape or form down the line, but I'm going to take a long summer off first. Um, so yes, this has been, this has been me really on the show. Reminder of the three of the volumes for you this month. Volume number one takes the WWF looking at WrestleMania. Volume number three, the ECW looking at their living dangerously pay per view. Volume number four, we go to Pride MMA. We we did say on that show, and I think we also said on the um, ECW show that we were going to be taking a USC show. We're now not going to. That was one of the things that kind of got canned as a result of me uh, finishing up the show. So full volume for you this month. Uh, show will carry on without it, but that's about it. Reminder, we're on Twitter at wrestling 20 rs uh, Patreon, if you'd like to do so, five bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs uh, Website wrestling 20 rscom And that'll do that. I've been Bob Bamba. And, well, until next time, whatever that may be. Goodbye.